This podcast of the Equine Forum is brought to you by the University of Louisville Equine Industry Program at the College of Business. It all begins in 15 seconds right after this word from our podcast sponsor. The University of Louisville Equine Industry Program at the College of Business is now offering a graduate certificate which can be completed in 15 or 30 weeks and be done as a standalone or used as 20% of your MBA. Classes at both the undergraduate and graduate level are forming now for August. This is HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. 16th of a mile to go. Prison star away from the rail. Brian Simon Cordero trying to close the gap. Winnie Colored third. Prison star wins the Preakness by a length. Oh, a tour de force by the Super Philly. Rachel Alexander, Kevin Morales, and moving up. That's the ladder. She's going to destroy this field. Oh, Super Philly, you bet. What's the final margin? She might have won by 20! Rachel Alexander was absolutely spectacular! Welcome to the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. Mineshaft opening up here, two and a half lengths. Quest giving his only second, and a break of about seven lengths back to evening attire third. They're coming into the final furlong, and it's going to be Mineshaft. Mineshaft, routinely brilliant. To win here at Belmont Park once again, he has won the Jockey Club Gold Cup, and he has done it with style. Royal Delta digs deep and starts to inch clear. Mind Miss Aurelia stretching her, but the more they ask, the more Royal Delta gave. What a tremendous lead. Royal Delta and Mike Smith have won the Breeders' Cup Ladies Classic. Now, here's Mike Penna. Good morning once again, everyone, and welcome to the Equine Forum presented by Twin Spires. This, of course, is the show that launched an entire network, and it's all right here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Mike Penna, Baron of the Backstretch, happy to have you back in the saddle with me again this morning, right up until 11 a.m. Eastern on Sirius 162, XM 207, our affiliates in Lexington, Louisville, and across the country, streaming worldwide and podcast on our website, Horse Racing Radio. Dot net or wherever you are accessing your podcast. The Kentucky Derby and Kentucky Oats, Oaks Point Systems are really upping the ante this weekend with the start of the championship series. Today's Risen Star Stakes at the fairgrounds offers 50 qualifying points to the winner, as does the Rachel Alexandra for the three-year-old Phillies. Tomorrow's Sunland Derby in New Mexico, by the way, remains at 20 points, but after that, all derby points, all derby points races, actually, are worth 50 or 100 points to the winner. Until you get to the final race in the series, which is the Lexington at Keeneland, it remains that way, and then it reverts back to 20 points for the Lexington. So there's a lot on the line. That's also true on the Philly side, where tomorrow's Sunland Park Oaks is worth 20 points to the winner before all races in that series become valued at either 50 or 100 points. So what does all that mean? Well, obviously, if you win, you're pretty much in. If you win one of those races today, you are in a great position. Not only does today's 50 qualifying points pretty much guarantee your horse a spot in the starting gate on either the first Friday or the first Saturday in May, it affords you the opportunity going forward for your horse to have a subpar showing, which could result, as we all know, from a, a variety of reasons, completely out of the control of an owner or a trainer. 
for example, if you put the 50 points in your bankroll today, you win the Risen Star, you win the Rachel Alexandra. Even if you have zero points coming into today's prep races, if your horse breaks slow next time out or gets a bad trip and finishes third or finishes fourth after that bad trip, that's okay. You're still paid your points and pad your total for those third and fourth place finishes, and you're still locked in to your chance at either the Kentucky Oaks or the Kentucky Derby. The 50 points today is massive. But if you miss today and you finish third or you finish fourth, yes, you're going to get points. Third place in the Risen Star is worth 15 points. Fourth place is worth 10. But you've now taken away pretty much any margin for error going forward. And think about this, by the way. With Bob Baffert's three-year-olds looking pretty strong across the board at this point, you now have to consider avoiding the races they are pointing toward because even if you run second to one of those Baffert horses, you're only getting second-place points. The first-place points do not revert to second. They don't get distributed to second, third, fourth. It doesn't work that way. They just disappear. So that now limits some of your options if you really believe that the three-year-olds trained by Bob Baffert are that strong and your horse may not be able to beat them. And even if you think your horse can beat those horses, you still take the risk. Because if you're wrong and your horse can't beat them, a horse like Nysos, for example, who has been so dominant, well, you're settling for second. Now, if that's a a race in the 100-point series, a race like the Santa Anita Derby, for example, okay. You can still punch your ticket to the Kentucky Derby by finishing second in that race because second place is worth a lot of points. But boy, getting those 50 points today is huge going forward. And then you think about the fact that so many of the horses that we're going to see in that Risen Star today, like Sierra Leone, like Honor Marie, who both have proven that they have the quality and the talent to be a legitimate Kentucky Derby contender, they're just getting started with their three-year-old campaigns. There are several horses in that race today like that. So this is not the ultimate goal by any stretch of the imagination. And any trainer, any owner would tell you that. They want to see a good effort from those horses later today. That's it. Just to show that, yes, they're on the right track. That they belong on the derby trail. So with that in mind, yeah, you want to win the race. And I just told you how critical... And how much it can change your spring leading up to the Derby if you get the 50 points for winning that race today. But keep in mind, it's a starting point for most of these three-year-olds. So that complicates things a little bit. But that's what's on the line in today's Risen Star and in the Rachel Alexander for the three-year-old Fiddlies. The current top 10 in the Derby point standings Includes seven horses with trainers seeking their first Kentucky Derby. You have Todd Pletcher and Brad Cox. They're the only trainers 
among the top ten to have their names in the Derby record books. The other seven are Steve Asmussen, Ken McPeak, Joe Orsino, Butch Reed, Jose D'Angelo, Robbie Medina, and Larry Demerit. Which of those would you consider to be most likely to break through on the first Saturday in May? Well, the obvious answer, and I think the leader in the clubhouse with this conversation all of the time, is Hall of Famer Steve Asmussen. North America's all-time leader in wins. He's saddled 10,401 winners coming into today. He's 0 for 25 in the Kentucky Derby. And he has brought some really good horses into there and hasn't won it yet. Curlin, third in 2007. Gunrunner, <laughs> third in 2016. Hard to believe that they would get beat in the Kentucky Derby considering what they would go on to do with the rest of their careers. He had looking at Lee, who was second in 2017. He was second with Epicenter, if you recall, in 2022. And second with Nehru in 2011. So Steve Asmussen has been close. He hasn't been able to get that elusive Kentucky Derby win. It shows you how difficult it is to win the Kentucky Derby. I think Ken McPeak this year is somebody that we would consider to be in the mix as that guy, that trainer that can break through and win their first Kentucky Derby. Considering what we saw from Mystic Dan in the Southwest Stakes, Kenny's also going to be active in today's Risen Star Stakes with Real Men Violin, who comes in with just one win in six career starts. Four seconds, though. So he's been knocking on the door, and this is his three-year-old debut. Has he gotten better since finishing second to Honor Marie in the Kentucky Jockey Club last November? Has he developed in a more forward way than Honor Marie. And and is that enough to turn the tables on that rival and everybody else in the Risen Star? And if Real Men Violin wins that race today, now Ken McPeak is really holding a strong hand, and you start looking at him as being that trainer that can break through for the first time. It's really interesting. I'm going to bring that topic up and that very same question up with Dale and Tim. At the end of the program here today, Dale Romans, Tim Wilkin, they'll be with me at 1030 Eastern for I Ask, They Answer and get a chance to talk to them and get their thoughts on which trainer they feel is most likely to break through with their first winner today or this year on the first Saturday in May. Trainer Whit Beckman can throw his name into that mix as well if Honor Marie can win the Risen Star later today. Witt's going to be with me at right around 8.35 Eastern time. Later in this first hour, you're going to hear from him talking about Honor Marie. He's also my special guest this week on our Kentucky Bread segment in hour number two. So a lot of Whit Beckman coming up over the next couple of hours. You're going to hear from trainer Gary Shearer kicking things off here at 8.15 Eastern. Gary is going to saddle Pennock in today's Rachel Alexandra. She has been really good, but this is a big step up for her. We'll talk to Gary coming up at 8.15 Again, Witt at 8.35, 9 o'clock Eastern. Kevin Kirstein will be with me to preview all of the big races coming up at the fairgrounds. He's always fantastic every time he joins us here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Eric Hamelback, the CEO of the National HBPA, will join me right around 9.25 Eastern to talk about the big announcement coming out this week in regards to Claiming Crown. Last year, the Claiming Crown was in New Orleans at the fairgrounds. This year, 
it will shift back to Churchill Downs in Louisville, Kentucky. So we'll talk to Eric about that. Trainer Phil D'Amato is going to talk about his horses going in the Sunland Park Derby and Sunland Park Oaks tomorrow. He'll be with me at 940 to do that. 10 Eastern, Ashley Anderson gives you three races you can keep an eye on later today in the Twin Spires Triple Play. Kurt Becker takes you on his stroll through racing history at 1020. And again, Dale Romans, Tim Wilkin with me at 1030 Eastern. Poll question for this morning. Let's keep it simple. Who will win today's Risen Star at the fairgrounds? Track Phantom, Sierra Leone, Honor Marie, or other? And if you do think it's somebody other than those three, please comment with your pick and let us know who you think it is, and I'll get to those results later in the program. You can do that on our social media pages, at HRRN on Twitter, Horse Racing Radio Network on Facebook. Comment there to let me know and vote to let us know who you think is going to win today's Risen Star. If you don't do social media, you know what to do. You can email the show, mike at horseracingradio.net, and let me know your pick in that race later today. Plenty of things to get to over the course of the next uh, just under three hours or so. We'll kick it off with Gary Shearer next. This is the Equine Forum presented by Twin Spires on HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. Race the Twin Spires where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void were prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. There are plenty of thrills at Gulfstream Park with live thoroughbred action Friday through Sunday and simulcasting seven days a week. Join us on track for weekend stakes races. Dine trackside in 10 ponds with an elevated view of the track and grab a cool cocktail in the Carousel Club. For reservations, tickets, and more, head to GulfstreamPark.com. When it's time to paint the fences and barns, think Farm Paint. At Farm Paint, you get the industry's best coatings and paints factory direct at low, low prices. Farm Paint is your source for quality paints, roof coatings, dustless arena footings, and more. You can purchase online or drop into a Farm Paint store near you with locations in Heart of Bluegrass Country at 700 Phillips Lane in Lexington, Kentucky, Columbus, Ohio, and Sandusky, Ohio. Buy factory direct and save at farmpaint.com. That's farmpaint.com. The best son of leading sire Munnings, Jack Christopher showed he was an exceptional talent early, winning the grade one champagne stakes with a 102 buyer. At three, Jack Christopher racked up wins in the grade two Pat Day Mile, the grade one Woody Stevens winning by 10 lengths, and proved much the best in the grade one H. Allen Jerkins. With his pedigree and outstanding physique, Jack Christopher represents fantastic value with his foals arriving in 2024. Call the team at Ashford today to book your mare. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. And on the outside is Wrinkle Rumor. Here's the inside is Panic, and True Princess is circling them. These three-year-old fillies come for home. It's twirl around. Panic makes a bid. Maya Salo showed that speed, but has dropped back. With on the outside, True Princess, and right there, Wrinkle Rumor between fillies. On the far outside, Bunch Punch from the backfield. It's Panic who's come through powerfully for Jared Loveberry. It's Panic, the daughter of Hardspun, and Panic is pouring it on. Panic, Panic on top by four. 
Second was Twirl Around as Brunch Punch came running at the end, then Wrinkle Rumor along with True Princess and Maya's Halo. Welcome back to the Equine Forum presented by Twin Spires. That was John Dooley with the call of Pennick winning a now winners of one allowance race at the fairgrounds. Did it over a sloppy racetrack, which might not be a bad thing considering that the track may be wet by the time we get to post time for the Rachel Alexandra later today. Pennick, one of the contenders in there for trainer Gary Shearer. She is a perfect two for two to begin her career. Hasn't even been challenged in either of those two victories. We'll see if today presents a different story. The waters get much deeper for her as she moves forward into this grade two race. And Gary is with us now. Gary, appreciate the time, my friend. Thank you. Appreciate being on here. Yeah, really excited to talk about this super talented Philly. Uh, and listen, I, I know you're a superstitious guy. I know this is a little bit out of your wheelhouse doing a radio interview the morning of the race. Let's hope she goes on and wins by 10, and then I'll have you on every time that she runs. That, that, that'd that be wonderful. I would love it. <laughs> we'll have to, I'll have to be on every time if, if, if that happens, yes. <laughs> have you so, always been superstitious throughout your entire career? Yes. I mean, I, I think it's hereditary. I think my father was uh, was superstitious. My brother definitely was, and I don't know. I don't know. I can I can remember back when I was grooming. I look at some of my winners that I had as far as grooming horses, and I always had the same shirt on. I was like, <laughs> I used to always feel this shirt won. So yeah, yep. I, I'm yeah. the same way. I and I've told the story many times on the show. I have a a lucky pen theory. If I'm handicapping and I'm winning races and I'm using the same pen, I will bring that very same pen to the racetrack with me every single time. Uh, if I'm betting with a teller as opposed to online with Twin Spires, I will I will turn around and I will go to the same teller every single time. I'll watch the TV on the same television monitor if I'm winning. It it gets in your head. Yeah, it does. I do that at the track. When I saddle, I walk a certain way. I got to go out and, and go to a certain spot. Never change it. <laughs> if, I, <laughs> if I change it, I, I feel I'm, that's it. I, I don't win. It, well, but, when I start losing is when I change. Correct. Oh, well, yeah, you have to. Yeah, as long as so. you're on a heater like Pennick has been, winning both of those races so impressively, you don't have to change anything. Tell me about this filly. What makes her so special? Uh, you know, you know, I didn't have her in uh in Canada, but I know when she won that first race up there, she was on like the uh, Thorbred horses to watch type list, and I think she had a little setback up there. And it did when you watch her train. I mean, she just. I mean, with the horses I train, I train, you know, I look forward to like the Louisiana Champions Day type races and that. And when this really trains, when she when she gets to the top of the lane galloping, man, I mean, she's just, she's stretching my exercise rider's arms out and she just wants to do it so bad. I mean, it was like, man, I mean, this is, you know, I mean, it's just a different feel when you see her go out there and train. And then when you watch some of the other ones training, it just, you know, like you said, I heard you say it earlier. She's going into deeper waters now. Yes, she is, and it's it's kind of quick back. But I think this is uh, the right time to take a chance. And you have to so. take a chance to find out where you stand at some point. Oh yeah, for sure. And this, I mean, obviously, if you, when you uh, look at a hub best days, probably be uh, it looked to be the summer of in uh, Woodbine. You know, she's a Canadian bred. You know, she probably has a a big uh, three-year-old season up there, but after you know, after winning and doing it pretty well, we're going to take our chances for um, here. So maybe she'll stay 
in the States a little longer. Yeah, Canadian bred. She did begin her career with trainer Kevin Attard in Canada. She won at first asking last May, four and a half furlongs on the synthetic. And then in January, she debuted with you going five and a half in the slop at the fairgrounds. And we just heard that call. She won by four and a quarter lengths that day. How, how did you end up acquiring this filly, Gary? Well, we uh, we say, we say uh, share the same owners. I mean, me and uh, Alan Bill Allwell in have been together since 2010 and they've been uh, focusing a lot on Canadian racing plus Louisiana racing. So, you know, uh, so they have Kevin up there and, you know, she had a setback and that's why she was off. So they didn't want to just sit on her all the way till next year, Canada. So they brought it down here to start getting a prep for Canada basically. So, and uh, Kevin sometimes goes down a golf stream with a string, but this year he didn't. So I acquired, uh, you know, about four or five Canadian breads down here. Tell me a little bit more about them. We see their name in the program quite often, Al and Bill Allwelling. You said you've been associated with them for a long time. Uh, they do a lot to support the sport. Yeah, yeah, very good owners. I mean, they're from Minnesota, and uh, actually a guy named Mike Beeler, another trainer, kind of introduced me with them and, uh, you know, started claiming horses from uh, back in '09 or so, and and then they started breeding some of the ones, and now they, I mean, they're real, uh, you know, race enthusiasts. You know, they love the horse racing game. They like the fairgrounds. They like Woodbine. You know, like Minnesota. I mean, you know, and uh, they love they love the horse. They breed them. They buy them. They claim them. You know, they they do everything. They rehome them. So they're very good. They're very good for the sport. What very good to me. Think? So. The confidence you talked about how well she trains and how you know she's hard to hold for the exercise rider because she's so full of herself. What gives you the confidence that she'll handle the two turns in the mile and a sixteenth coming up later today? Well, she don't stop. <laughs> you know, <laughs> when she trains, she don't stop. And then when she breathes, her, I mean, her gallopouts. I mean, you know, she just keeps going. You know, and I, I just think that's, you know, I mean, I was almost wanting to just run her in a in a mile race on a first race coming back, I thought, I mean, it might've been a better move to go long one time and then look for one of these bigger races. Cause we thought she was, we thought she could be something good. I mean, I don't, I mean, you don't know for sure, you know, it could have been the slop just made her feel good that day. You know, she needs to relax more, you know, even she broke a little tardy the first race and run up on them and was just wanting to go. So it's, you know, she needs to grow up and uh, learn to race a little more, but you know, the opportunities now. So we're going to take the chance with her. But she's she seems like a, a really good horse. It's about 20 after 7 central time in New Orleans right now. What's the weather like this morning? What's the forecast? Do you think we'll have a sloppy track? I think so because this track right now is pretty sloppy right now, which I don't really understand as much. But it's pretty soupy right now. It rained all through the night. And it's been raining all morning, nothing, nothing hard. I mean, you can go stand out in it, but it's a light drizzle right now. And this track does hold water pretty good. So after the first few races, I think the rain's out of here after like noontime sometime today, and it's going to get colder. But, you know, I think it, the track could play a part. I mean, if it starts drying out and it gets heavy, that might not be as good for us. She might get a little too tired on that. But if it's a sloppy track, I think she'll handle it pretty well. 
talking with trainer Gary Shearer as he gets set to saddle his very talented three-year-old Philly Pennock in today's grade two, Rachel Alexandra, taking on some of the big names in that division. We'll see if she stacks up uh, right around 548 Central, 648 Eastern. That is post time for the Rachel Alexandra, which goes as race number 13. Jareth Ludberry, who was aboard last time out for that big win at the fairgrounds, gets the leg up again today. Talk a little bit more about Jareth and, and why you think he fits this horse. Well, uh, well, first of all, I'm personal friends kind of with Jarrett and his agent. They're real nice guys, but he's a he's a patient rider. He's he's uh, he's not overpoweringly uh, aggressive, but he'll ride the heck, the heck out of him and. Uh, and he, he he's he's he sits chilly. I mean, I like I like Jarrett. I mean, Jarrett's just a, a good rider. That's that's I think will be one of the top guys within a year or two of and uh, and he's just a good rider. And he has experience now in bigger races. Also, I mean, he's second in the Derby last year. But I mean, I met Jarrett at at, uh, at Minnesota a few years back, and he actually rode for the All Wellings, one of their good horses, Stacious in New Mexico when he was riding at Remington. So, I mean, they, we all have history kind of, and he's, he's an excellent rider and he's a good guy. What did he say to you when he got off Pennick after that last win, when she won by four and a quarter? Nothing. She's good. She's a really good <laughs> horse. Basically, you know, he says, this is what we were saying earlier. She needs the, to, to learn to relax a little more. That's all he pretty much said, you know, but I mean, I think he's confident going into the race right now. And I mean, I mean, obviously, we went to nine twos going against horses that's been running in some stake races. So these horses are a little more seasoned maybe than her. But, but once they open the gates, they all they all got to run it. Yeah, they're all on the same page once they open those gates, and it's anybody's race from there. Uh, Gary, is there anything as the trainer you can do or have done in the mornings? since that last race to kind of help her relax or teach her to relax a little bit? Well, I mean, we slow motion her progress, you know, stand a little more, jog her further, try to maybe even extend the gallops a little bit more, you know, just try not to, I mean, she's not like psycho crazy or not like that. She's just amped up more so. So I, I won't say she's a, uh, that have to do a whole lot different one. I mean, she's she's pretty professional. She's she's smart. She's just maybe the, maybe it was just the first time out in months that she ran that she was just a little aggressive early, and that's just one race. I mean, he he's he's going by what he rode her with said that she needs to be a little more to relax a little more. I mean, in the in the morning times, I mean, she gallops strong, but it, that doesn't tell me that she's not relaxed to me. You know, when she worked out the gates with a few other horses, I mean, she she. She relaxed really well. I mean, she outworked them, and she, but she just did it really easy. So, I think it might have been this her first race, you know, coming back off a long layup that she might have been just a little more aggressive. She might have liked to slop, sloppy track, and and uh, so I mean, all you can do is just try to, you know, hopefully she sees a lot of stuff and just keeps keep keep cool. You know, that's all we can do. As we started the conversation this morning, Gary, you mentioned your father, Merrill, and he is a highly accomplished trainer, 1,415 wins to his credit. Uh, his runners earned more than $24 million, almost $25 million. What are some of the things that you've learned and taken away from being around him and learning from him that are helping you as you train horses today? 
Well, I mean, my father, when I was younger, he, he claimed a lot of claiming horses at first, and then he gradually got to some nice ones. And, and them stats are like to 1976. I mean, he trained since 1960. So, I mean, he's got 16 years of stats that are probably not even in there. So he's probably at least a 2,000-type trainer. But uh, no, he always says you treat the good ones just like the bad ones. I mean, not not bad as bad as far as the levels, you know. Five thousand. You take care of them all the same way, you know. You you give them attention. You you be honest. You and you you know spot your horses right. You know, you know. They also did tell me if I wanted a a pet, get a goldfish. You know, so you know run them <laughs> run them where you can win. You know. And I trained. I mean, I worked for my father when I was really young, but, but and my brother is where I I really picked up the. You know, from '99 to about 2007 or so, I worked for my brother Richie, and he he kind of taught me a, a a lot also. Yeah, it's a great racing family, and uh, the legacy continues later today at the fairgrounds with the Risen Star or the Rachel Alexander. Excuse me, the Risen Star will follow the Rachel Alexander, but in the Rachel, it is Pennock, the three-year-old filly, going for Gary Shearer. Gary, listen, man, I want to wish you all the best later today, and uh, let's hope we, we just started a new superstition for you, and she wins, and we I can do so. this every single time she runs. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate it. Such a delight, man. Appreciate it. Good luck today. Thanks. All right, Gary Shearer here on HRN. Yeah, I mean, you think about that family, and I mentioned his dad, Merrill, went through those stats, and, and Gary brought up a great point. The stats on Equibase don't go back past – it's 1970-something. So those are just his victories and everything he accomplished since then. But you go back further when he was training before Echo Bay started keeping those stats. And, yeah, he probably is right around 2,000 wins when you think back on Merrill's career. Richie Scherer, his brother, 805 winners, more than $17 million in purses. Um, he had a grade two winner in his career. Mystery Giver, who was his top horse, won the Mervyn Muniz Junior Memorial at the fairgrounds. So that's exactly what his brother Gary is trying to accomplish now and pick up that big grade two win with Pennock. We'll see if she can pull it off. She's a bit of a long shot in there. She's about eight to one, I guess, on the morning line. Yeah, eight to one on the morning line. Uh, she'll break from post number two. And again, post time for the Rachel Alexandra, 648 Eastern, 548 Central Time in New Orleans. All right, it's time now for your Legends of the Turf segment, followed by a short commercial break. When I come back, going to welcome trainer Whit Beckman to the program to talk about his risen star contender, Honor Marie, as he prepares for his three-year-old debut. That's next, after your Legends of the Turf. On an early June day in 1945, a set of circumstances was culminated and climaxed by a win in the Kentucky Derby. In 1943, just before the opening of the very first yearling sale ever held at Keeneland, a contractor from Alabama was lolling about the lobby of Lexington, Kentucky's Hotel Lafayette. He met a fellow contractor from Tennessee who asked what he was doing there. The tall Alabaman, Mr. Fred C. Hooper, said, quote, I thought I'd buy a couple of yearlings and find out what this racehorse business is all about. His friend, J. Warfield Rogers of Memphis, Tennessee, had been racing and breeding for some time and, of course, offered his assistance. Hooper asked if Rogers knew of a good trainer. Mr. Rogers said indeed he did, and Hooper then asked if he could be introduced to him. Rogers and Hooper met at the sale the next day, and as Ivan Park strolled by, Rogers indicated that he was one of the trainers he would certainly recommend. 
The two are introduced and spent the rest of the day together with no agreement reached between them, looking at yearlings going into the auction arena but neither bidding nor buying. They knew absolutely nothing of each other, but took the pains to carefully check each other out to mutual satisfaction, I might add. And the next afternoon, August 11th, 1943, they sat together at the sale pavilion and patiently waited until the 34th yearling was led into the sales arena. Hooper jumped into the action and quietly and determinedly bid to $10,200 for which he got to Colt in which he was interested. He was now the owner of a high-priced thoroughbred. That youngster was put in the hands of former riding great Ivan Park to train, and on June 9, 1945, two years later, the casual introduction came to its climax. It was Derby Day in Louisville. 70,000 fans on hand neath the hallowed twin spires to watch the 71st run for the Roses on a very muddy racetrack. Hooper's horse was installed, too, in the crowded old-fashioned paddock at Churchill, and Hooper and Park stood in front of it greeting well-wishers as their horse approached. The son of Sir Galahad III had his front legs bandaged, and the padding covered an extraordinarily thick padding of cotton, which stretched from pastern to just above the knee. As he passed bystanders, there was a strong odor of medication. Jeep, owned by Colonel C.V. Whitney, was in stall three, and Colonel Whitney, natally attired in his army uniform, bowed to Mr. Hooper by a way of exchanging the social amenities of the moment. Ivor Balding, manager of the Whitney Farm, exchanged a few pleasantries with Mr. Hooper as well. Tommy Piat visited every stall and spoke to every owner and trainer. At stall seven, Piat chatted with Warren Wright, who had pot of luck in the field. Wright congratulated Piat on come and goes winning the Kentucky Oaks. Ben Jones, Wright's trainer, came up and said, quote, If we can beat the Hooper Colt, we can win it. I don't think we can. His work the other day was marvelous, and he didn't even draw a deep breath, end of quote. The order from the paddock judge came to saddle up. Bandages were removed from Hooper's horse, revealing blister scars on the ankles, and the strong smell of medication was unmistakable. The ankles looked good, but they had obviously been sweated. Trainer Ivan Park's hands were trembling while saddling the horse, Mr. Hooper standing calmly with arms crossed and watching his stalwart. Riders up came the call, and the rest, my friends, is history. On that muddy racetrack with 70,000 howling fans on hand, on June 9, 1945, Hedy Eddie Arcaro guided that horse to an uncontested wire-to-wire six-length win in rather easy fashion. That horse, the very first purchased by Fred C. Hooper, trained by Ivan Park, had fulfilled a dream. That thoroughbred, my friends, was Hoop Jr., and his and his owners and trainers' story provide, indeed, a great moment in thoroughbred racing. This is HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. Race the Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void where prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. The 2024 Stallion roster at Adina Springs North offers exciting opportunities for breeders. Tap into the famed Leafard's Delta family with American Guru, a winner over a mile on turf in 132.09. 
His sire produced classic winners Empire Maker, Grindstone, and Red Bullet, and his first runners are on track in 2024. Shaman Ghost is Ghost Sapper's best son, a multiple grade one winner of $3.8 million. His first crop of Ontario sired runners start in 2024. Adina Stallion's silent name is the only son of Sunday Silence at stud in North America and Canada's champion sire three years in a row. Signature Red is the only son of Bernstein at stud in Canada and the best value stud in the country. And Dynaformer's heir point of entry is Canada's number one sire by progeny earnings, turf sired, and average earnings per runner on turf in 2023. Learn more at adinastallions.com. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Risk it is there. Real Men Violin is now in traffic. Needs to find a way through. Anna Marie comes alive with a wide sweeping move. It's wide open, top of the stretch. Stretch stride, trying to hang tough. Here's Anna Marie with a sweeping move on the far outside. And Real Men Violin punches through toward the rail. One furlong to go. Anna Marie's up for a short lead. Stretch ride fights on. Real Men Violin down toward the rail. They're coming to the finish. And Honor Marie from off the pace to score by two. Real Men Violin was second. Stretch ride was third. Risk it was fourth. And Awesome Road checks in fifth. Welcome back to the Equine Forum presented by Twin Spires. That is Travis Stone bringing us back here on this Saturday morning with a call of the Kentucky Jockey Club Stakes at Churchill Downs last November. One, as you just heard, by Honor Marie, who is trained by my next guest, Whip Beckman. And that was a huge win for him because it was his first graded stakes win since going out on his own. And what a performance it was that day. Honor Marie going to return in the Risen Star Stakes at the fairgrounds this afternoon. And I know Witt's super excited about that. And we're excited to have him here on the Equine Forum this morning. Witt, good morning. Morning. Yeah, I'm excited to, to hear about Honor Marie and how he has progressed over the past couple of months. What are you seeing in him now as opposed to what might be different from what you saw on November 25th? Uh, I think just his overall physical stature. He's, you know, grown a little bit, gets you know, good development muscle-wise and, you know, just just doing the things that, you know, two-year-old needs to do and that, you know, kind of stretch between coming back and competing at three. He is a late full, so we were always kind of waiting for a little growth to take place. And, you know, it's happened, and I think there's still some room to grow. But, um, you know, training's always been ultra-consistent. You know, I think he's sharpening up a little bit, starting to uh, act a little bit more like a a two-year-old colt. He's fairly uh, immature early on, but he's starting to wake up for sure. He won two of his three starts in his juvenile campaign and capped it off of that win in the Kentucky Jockey Club. Walk me through those three races and what you saw from him in each one in terms of his progression. Um, I, you know, the first race we knew just wanted to get started, you know, get a one turn. It had, they, you know, he's not an expensive horse, so we kind of fit into that made an auction category, which can come up as pretty tough races. And just kind of the way he did that, you know, he broke, and it took him a while to kind of get himself, you know, sorted out on the backside. But as soon as Ralph, I kind of started to gear him up and make that move. He, you know, made a nice little uh, – uh, made up some ground around the turn. But then as soon as he stretched out, you just saw this turn of foot and just kind of, a, you know, he was really bearing down and just really geared up towards winning. So that was, uh, you know, very hopeful just because you don't see a lot of horses, you know, win those races from that far off the pace. Um, Second start was a sloppy mess out of Churchill, but I just felt like running him one turn one more time just for the experience. Uh, we ran him seven, and he 
did the same thing, just kind of, you know, took a minute to get himself geared up. But when he did, he circled the field, just not quite good enough to get to Otto the Conqueror that day. He ran, you know, a huge race, big number. Um, and then the next race, we were always going to go two turns. We had, like, kind of looked at the street fence early that day, and then we were looking at the jockey club. We decided that was going to be where we tried him. And just kind of how we thought he trained, He uh, as soon as he got around those two turns, he just found a gear late that we knew he was going to have. You mentioned Otto the Conqueror, who defeated Honor Marie in that second start that you were just talking about. Otto the Conqueror came back to win the Remington Springboard Mile, so he is now a stakes winner. That flatters the form a little bit. Do you feel like Honor Marie was facing some pretty good competition as a two-year-old? Yeah, I think anytime you're running those maidens, you know, at Churchill Down or the you know second level or the first level allowances, and obviously the stakes, you're going to run into a lot of the heavy hitters that you're going to see. You know. It's, far as we're moving forward into three-year-old year. So, I mean, I don't think he ever ran against, you know, bad fields by any shot. He always had, you know, horses in there that were well-regarded and, you know, nice horses. So, good to see him, uh, you know, show his uh, his talent. What's impressed you most about this horse? Uh, just how easy going he is and how he just kind of has this kind of intuition about where things are, where he needs to be. He doesn't ever really put everything he has, you know. He always has something left, especially in his training. He just goes – you know, the impression that he's just extremely, you know, in tune and wise to what the whole overall program needs to be. Um, you know, some horses, they want to train too hard or some are, you know, tougher to kind of get, you know, into that rhythm to get their fitness up. But he just seems to do a lot of it himself. You know, he's just a, he's a very intelligent horse. He tends to find himself far back early on and then he makes that one big run at the end and boy his you know I'm a huge fan of the Brisnet past performances and when you look at the late pace numbers in there Honor Marie stacks up with every horse that he's going to face in the Risen Star and the way he finished in the Kentucky Jockey Club is maybe even better than a lot of the horses he's going to face coming up later today um, why do you think that why do you think that he has fallen into this particular running style and is this a good style to have going forward I think it can be a scary style because when you're coming from back, obviously with traffic issues or just trips going wide or, you know, waiting on rails or whatever, it can be a little bit of a dangerous uh, tactic. But I don't know that he's necessarily resigned to being, you know, a deep, deep closer. I think moving into, you know, the three-year-old year, he's had some really sharp works, you know, and I think there's probably more he could offer early. But I think early on just with how he – those first two races and then the third one, Rafa, just kind of knowing what the horse was capable of. I think he just put him into that, you know, same, uh, you know, kind of same box and he was able to overcome all three times. But I don't necessarily think it has to be like his only way of, uh, you know, closing out those races. The Risen Star is obviously the first step toward the ultimate goal, which would be the first Saturday in May at Churchill Downs. What do you need to see from Honor Marie in this race to let you know he belongs? I think just a competitive start. You know, you'd like him to get out, maybe show a little bit more foot early into the first turn. It looks like, I mean, on paper, there could be, you know, a pretty decent pace in there, something to run at and go on a mile in the day. I'd just like to see him, you know, get into the first turn, make a position, and ultimately just, you know, make it, got to get a good clean run, just get something out of it, hopefully finish in the top three and just show that he belongs. You know, there's always the question mark whenever you got, you know, nice two year olds and, Moving forward to three, do they, uh, you know, develop along with the rest of them or do they flatten out? But based off everything I've seen here, he's going to, you know, keep moving along and get a little bit better as we, uh, you know, race closer to the Derby. There's a chance we could see a wet track by post time of the Risen Star. Any concerns there? No, I mean, he ran on the wet track in Louisville there. I thought he handled it well. 
Um, that was his first time over it. Like being down here, you know, for the whole winter and training down here, we have a lot of wet tracks, you know. So he's galloped and he's breezed on some tracks that I wouldn't call, you know, fast. And he's always handled it well, so I'm not too concerned with it. It's just everybody has to run on the same surface, so you know it is a little bit of the next factor, but at the same time, it is what it is. I love wit when you when you see horses like this that continue to be accompanied by the same jockey every single race. And that's been the case for Honor Marie. The only jockey that has ever been aboard him in the afternoons is Rafael Bejarano. He's back aboard in the Risen Star. Tell me about their chemistry and why he fits. Um, so Rafa came out early and just, you know, had been one of the guys working him early. I thought they got along well. You know, Rafa's a very accomplished rider over the years, and if he finds the right horse, he's as good as anybody. Um, I just, you know, can't fault him across the three stars. He always did, you know, kind of what I said, you know, put the horse in a comfortable rhythm, get him pointed, and, you know, just make a one clean run with him, and he's been able to do that three starts. So I think those two, they just, uh, they understand where they are, and they understand what they need to do, and I'm happy he's able to uh, come down from Oklahoma and ride him. You know what? I always like to put the owners in the spotlight, too, especially in these graded stakes. So tell me more about the owners involved with Honor Marie. Carrie uh, and Alan Ribble, um, you know, they were part of the group that owned him originally. And then after he won his maiden, they bought out the partners. And, you know, since the jockey club, they brought on four, uh, four guys from Chicago who are all great guys that, you know, wanted to get in on a piece of the action. But, you know, and then Legion Bloodstock, the group that bought the horse, and they're really good at just organizing, putting together good people for the experience, for the fun. It's just been, you know, a really easy. They don't, you know, no burden. They're not burdensome burdensome or anything like that they're all just happy to be in the spot so i couldn't have a better group of people to work with visiting with trainer whit beckman here on the equine forum presented by twin spires earlier in the in the afternoon you're going to saddle uh harlan estate in the grade three fairground stakes declan cannon will have the leg up for you there tell me a little bit more about harlan estate uh harlan yeah we got him a couple of years ago out of the uh, november horse racing age sale and you know, it took a couple starts for us to kind of get tuned in on him. But once we did, he's been not super consistent, but when he runs in spots, he runs great. He's one of these that I think sometimes can get himself in a spot he doesn't like and he doesn't really put forth that effort. But when he does find himself, you know, in a spot or the trip he's loving, he's given us some really fantastic runs. He was my first stake winner at uh, Kentucky Downs. Um, he ran down here in December. We skipped the race in uh, January just to give him a little breather, and he's really training well. He looks great. Uh, like I said, we could have a little bit of a wet, you know, track, surface, turf. I'm not sure exactly what that'll play out with. Uh, see, uh, he definitely likes it firmer, but like I said, we'll we'll play the hand we're dealt. How do you train this horse differently than Honor Marie? Uh, as a turf horse, I don't really, you know, focus as hard on his fitness, more or less. He's an older horse, too. He's six years old. Or Honor Marie's a three-year-old. This horse has got tons of races, so. He generally, you know, with his works, I try to see controlled half miles. We don't really, you know, take him further than that. And with Anna Marie as a three-year-old is coming off a bit of a layoff. We tend to be a little bit, uh, amp up the work a little bit more for him. Harlan Estate has worn blinkers in each of his past four starts. The blinkers come off today. They've kind of been on and off throughout his career. Why that move? Yeah. Well, he's just one of these. He's an older horse. He's extremely smart, and he just kind of figures things out. So when I pulled him off, originally he ran a super race ran you know a mid-90s buyer at churchill put in an awesome effort and then kind of subsequently kind of backed up a little bit and then we threw him back on and he you know kind of re-engaged and showed us that you know uh so i think i put him back on at uh 
uh, Kentucky Downs, and, you know, he was able to just – I think just switching it up with him. He's just a funny horse, and for whatever reason, it works. So I just had to pull him back off. I don't know that it makes a huge difference. It's probably more just what the horse is feeling that day, but still makes me feel like we're doing something. <laughs> How much of those calls are made – exclusively by you or are you consulting with the rider let's say Declan Cannon and saying hey did, did you feel this horse letting up a little bit when he made the lead or you know whatever the case might be yeah Declan knows this horse very well and he's a horse that just he kind of needs to break and just be kept engaged and moving forward he's not one you're just going to sit on and wait for that turn of foot you kind of got to keep him moving forward whether or not it's always the blinkers but I think they do have some effect um like I say, yeah, with Declan, he just he just got such a good rapport with the horse, so I've continued to use him in the spots I can. And um, I mean, he doesn't really give me too much as far as the blinkers go, but I think he just he just when he gets on him, he knows when the horse is live, and he knows when the horse is probably just not feeling it that day. Wit, you grew up in the the shadows of Churchill Downs, so how cool would it be to get Honor Marie to the first Saturday in May and earn a spot in the starting gate? Be one of the coolest things to ever happen to me. Might be the coolest. <laughs> hey there's been some cool things to happen to you in your life now this would rank right up there right yeah for sure the kentucky derby I and mean, growing up there it's one of those like you know you know you're in a position just working along but at, like you know years ago working for todd or chad being there for me that was the pinnacle just being there and being a part of it i mean i treated it like it was you know my deal i just you know was always committed and loved to do it and it was just like such an honor i'm just so grateful for those experiences and just because it's me now doesn't mean that any of those were less. It's just, you know, to be back here is, yeah, it's incredible. What's the first Kentucky Derby you remember either watching or attending just as a fan before you fully invested yourself into the industry? Uh, I remember the one I remember the most was like when you're a kid and you remember like things happening around you that make it more poignant was, when uh, Unbridled won in 1990. I remember my uncle going crazy because he had a major bet on him. So I think Unbridled, that was like the first one. And at that time, I was only like nine, eight or nine. Like, I, I remember that. I remember my uncle screaming Unbridled and cashing a pretty decent bet. Yeah, cool horse, cool connections. The whole story behind Unbridled was pretty awesome. Wit, listen, I, I appreciate the visit. All the best later today. All the best as you make your way down the road to Louisville, and hopefully we'll be catching up Derby Week as well. Um, you're going to hear more from trainer Whit Beckman coming up later in the program as he joins me for our Kentucky Bread segment on this Saturday morning, so stay with us for that. Wit, appreciate the conversation in this part of the show. Anytime. Thank you. All right, this is the Equine Forum on the Horse Racing Radio Network. The National HBPA is continuously working to protect the health and welfare of horses by advocating and funding research to help reduce equine injuries, lobbying for a national testing lab to oversee and establish absolute uniform laboratory protocols, advocating for every track to undergo an annual independent surface assessment, passionately supporting off-the-track thoroughbred retirement facilities and adoption groups, and so much more. See additional HBPA initiatives at nationalhbpa.com. Did you receive a call or message that mentioned Social Security and demanded immediate action? Did the caller know your Social Security number or other personal information and tell you that your Social Security number had been used in connection with the crime? Did you feel worried that your Social Security number might be suspended, your bank account might be frozen or seized, or you could be arrested? That is not the Social Security Administration. Social Security will not threaten you, demand your personal information, or instant payment. 
email or text you pictures or documents, or use a real government official's name to gain your trust. Social Security does not accept payments by gift card, prepaid debit card, internet currency, or by mailing cash. Criminals use these forms of payment because they are hard to trace. Do not be fooled. Hang up. Ignore them. Report this criminal activity to the Social Security Administration Office of the Inspector General at oig.ssa.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. James Brown and Bill Cower welcoming you back to Dennis Melvin's house. It's time for the Midnight Snack Run. This is one tricky obstacle course. Sticking to healthy habits in this kitchen is going to take focus and determination, but it can be done, JB. He's already entered the snack part of the course, and he's eyeballing a jar of chocolate candy. That is tempting right off the start. Uh-oh. He's reaching, Bill, but he pushes it away. Great stiff arm. He's approaching a plate of delicious-looking iced cookies. Oh, Dennis. You only want one of those. He blows right by him for the apple. Oh, the fridge. It's make or break time, JB. He stares down some rich-looking treats. Uh-oh. Looks like he's headed for the soda. Wait. He jukes left, grabs the water bottle, and shuts the door with his elbow in record time. Unbelievable move. I gotta see that again. And he's out. He even turned off the light. That's the way you execute a midnight snack run. Stand Up to Cancer and Rally want you to reduce your risk for cancer. Go to takeahealthystand.org. Thursday evenings, 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern, is the brisnet.com call-in show. It's your chance to call in and let the Horse Racing Radio Nation know what's on your mind. Call us at 888-966-HRRN. That's 888-966-4776. And discuss the topics you choose in the world of thoroughbred racing. The brisnet.com call-in show. Sirius 162, XM207, and streaming live at horseracingradio.net. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. They're all in line. And they're off. Spendthrift Farm presents Calling All Three-Year-Olds with Bobby Newman. There were two important stakes for the three-year-olds last weekend, but only one of them was a Kentucky Derby points qualifier. That was the Grade 3 Sam F. Davis at Tampa, the major stepping stone to next month's Tampa Bay Derby. Jose D'Angelo's No More Time is coming off a trouble-filled fifth-place finish in the Mucho Macho Man at Gulfstream in January, and betters knocked him all the way down from his morning line of 10 to 1 to be the slight favorite at post time. He broke well, was sent to the lead by jockey Paco Lopez, set solid fractions, and had plenty left to score the impressive wire-to-wire win. Time for the mile in a 16th was 143-1, and, and he earned 20 derby points with the victory. Golden Gate held their major three-year-old stake last weekend, the El Camino Real Derby. No Kentucky Derby points offered, but the winner gets an automatic berth into this year's Preakness. SoCal Invader Endlessly was coming off a poor performance in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf and was trying synthetic surface for the first time, but he was certainly up to the task, closing from far back to win going away. There are three Kentucky Derby qualifiers this weekend, highlighted by today's grade two risen star over nine furlongs at fairgrounds. Stakes winners Track Phantom and Honor Marie lead a full field that also includes Sierra Leone and Hall of Fame. The winner gets 50 Derby qualifying points, basically making this a win and you're in race for the Kentucky Derby. Tomorrow, the grade three Sunland Derby offers 20 Derby points to the winner. A field of eight hopefuls is led by stakes-placed runners Stronghold and Informed Patriot, as well as Riley Allison champ Lucky Jeremy. 
The Japan Road is also back in the spotlight tomorrow with the hyacinth stakes in Tokyo. I'll be back with this week's top five list right after this word from Spendthrift. Cyberknife was a very talented horse from day one. Fast horse, able to carry it around two turns. Looks a tremendous amount like Gunrunner, same ability and talent. Holds the track record in the Haskell. He won it in impressive fashion, beating a very good group of horses. about him passing on his durability, his soundness, and his talent. He could definitely be a breach-shaping stallion. Multiple grade one winner Cyberknife, standing at Spendthrift. This week's top five list of three-year-olds looks like this. Number five, Fierceness. The Breeders' Cup champ is really good at times, but he's hard to rely on. He's targeting the Florida Derby at Gulfstream on March 30th. Number four, Locked. The Pletcher trainee supposedly had a slight fever and missed some training, and a scheduled start in last weekend's Sam Davis. He should resurface soon. Number three is Dornuck. He was tenacious in his Remsen win and is pointing for the Fountain of Youth at Gulfstream on March 2nd. Number two, Sierra Leone, extremely green in the stretch of the Remsen, running today in the Grade 2 Risen Star at Fairgrounds. And number one is Nisos. The Baffert trainee is three for three and very likely the best three-year-old in the country so far. That's your Calling All Three-Year-Olds segment presented by Spendthrift, the Breeders' Farm. And we continue to edge closer to the first Saturday in May. Twelve more three-year-olds are expected to go postward this afternoon at the fairgrounds in the Risen Star, hoping to find their way onto Bobby Newman's Calling All Three-Year-Olds Top 5 going into next Saturday. We'll see how this all plays out. But I was talking earlier about the horse most likely to, or the trainer most likely to win their first Kentucky Derby this year. And there are seven trainers in the current top 10. And let's face it, we're sitting here on February 17th. A lot is going to change. But right now, the top 10 in the point standings only include two trainers, Todd Pletcher and Brad Cox, who have won the Kentucky Derby before. None of the other seven trainers have done so. Steve Asmussen, probably the leader in the clubhouse to break through with his first win this year. It seems like he is every year. It's hard to believe he has not won the Kentucky Derby yet, but it speaks to just how difficult it is to win that race. And I'm asking you in the poll question about today's Risen Star, who will win today's Risen Star at the fairgrounds, track Phantom, Sierra Leone, Honor Marie, or Other. And if you choose Other, please comment with your selection. Which horse you think is going to win other other than those three? And right now it is track Phantom for Steve Asmussen, who is in the lead. 35% of HRN Nation saying it is going to be track Phantom. He is expected to be among the favorites, if not the favorite, by the time we get to post time. John comments and says, Hall of Fame. That is the other Steve Asmussen trainee in there. Hall of Fame, a 10-length winner of his debut race at the fairgrounds on January 20th. That was at a mile and a 16th. So he has that experience. And now he'll look to duplicate that effort. We'll see if he gets the same kind of trip. He sat close that day. And then when Joao Rosario said go, he took off and just accelerated away from that field. It was his first time running with Lasix. Did that make a difference? He's been heavily favored in both of his career starts. So Hall of Fame, highly regarded. He is a son of Gunrunner. They paid $1.4 million for him as a yearling at the Phasic Tipton Saratoga sale. So Hall of Fame has all the credentials. 
for Steve Asmussen. Now he has to prove, much like all of the other three-year-olds in here, that they can compete at this particular level. Going to talk to Kevin Kirstein coming up in just a few minutes and ask him his thoughts on the Risen Star and all of the stakes action coming up at the fairgrounds later today. I'll also have an update on the weather and the track conditions from Kevin at the top of hour number two. That's 9 o'clock Eastern. Uh, Tom in St. Louis emails the show and says, the other Asmussen horse wins today. It is Hall of Fame. A lot of people liking Hall of Fame. Trish in Colorado sends in and says, maybe not the class of the field, but track phantom. The track should help with his speed today, and she likes track phantom to win that race. If you don't do social media, email the show, mike at horseracingradio.net, and let me know your thoughts, and you can keep the votes coming on our Twitter page, at HRRN and Horse Racing Radio Network on Facebook, and I'll pass along an update later in hour number two. The second hour of the show kicks off in just about 10 seconds after I pause for station identification. This is the Horse Racing Radio Network, where racing comes to talk. This is the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. Mike Penna, Baron of the Backstretch, with you as always on this Saturday morning, hour two of three, beginning right now. If you missed any portion of the first hour of the program, my conversation with trainer Gary Shearer, talking about Pennock going in today's Rachel Alexandra stakes, or if you missed that really fun conversation with Beckman, talking about Honor Marie in today's Risen Star. All you have to do is head back to the website, horseracingradio.net. You can listen to the podcast of this show after we finish up at 11 o'clock Eastern. The entire show will be posted, and several of the segments that you hear in this program broken out individually for you to listen to on our website as well. And don't forget, too, it's not just the Equine Forum. You can listen to all of our shows on our website and on every podcast platform. Kevin Kirstein is going to be with me momentarily to kick off this second hour of the program. You're also going to hear this week's Kentucky Bread segment with Whit Beckman. He'll talk about being born and raised in the bluegrass. And, well, I guess he was actually born in Ohio, technically, but he moved to Louisville as, a, as an infant. So he considers himself a Kentuckian, went to school in Kentucky, and he is a huge supporter of the industry there. He's going to tell you about several of the incentives that – he is taking advantage of as a trainer in the Bluegrass State. That comes up right around 9.20. 9.25, Eric Hamelback, the CEO of the National HBPA, will join me to talk about the claiming crown returning to Churchill Downs here in 2024. And then trainer Phil D'Amato at 9.40 Eastern Time will talk about his runners in the Sunland Park Derby and the Sunland Park Oaks, those races taking place tomorrow. 10 Eastern, it is the Twin Spires Triple Play with Ashley Anderson. Three races to keep an eye on this afternoon and bet at Twin Spires. Kurt Becker stroll through racing history at 10:20, and I asked, they answer with Dale Romans and Tim Wilkin at 10:30 Eastern. But Kevin Kirstein is with me now. He is live from New Orleans, and uh, we're going to take a look at all the big races. Kevin, good morning. Good morning, Mike. Thanks for having me. Happy Risen Star Day. Yeah, happy Risen Star Day. It's uh, it's great to be in New Orleans. I'm standing at the quarter pole right now here at Fairgrounds and. Uh, yeah, it's a great site. It's a great day of racing. These big cards here at Fairgrounds have really turned out 
uh, you know, to be, you know, successful for us from, you know, Church Downs Incorporated standpoint. But, you know, the trainers and the owners have really supported it. We really can't thank them enough and the horse players, too. So looking forward to a fun day of racing down here in New Orleans. What's the latest on the weather and the track conditions? You know, right now there is a little bit of drizzle that's falling still. Uh, there's probably more rain than I thought overnight, uh, which is unfortunate. Uh, the track is uh, was sealed early this morning, and, uh, it, you know, it's, it's, it's sloppy in places. Uh, I don't see many, like, there's not standing water on the track, but it's definitely sloppy, and uh, training hours are going to be cut an hour short this morning, so that way the track crew down here can uh, try and dry this track out as much as they can before first post at 12 Central, 1 o'clock Eastern time. And, uh, you know, I've heard from three different trainers yesterday, which is very interesting with this weather. And they told me this track has been drying out better than any other year that they can remember down there. And these were some veteran Louisiana trainers. So um, optimistic. We'll have to see. Haven't heard word yet on the turf yet, but that'll be coming probably very shortly uh, to see what the turf will be like for the re- remainder of this card today for the stakes and uh, early on in the program. But, you know, overall, it's just a great program top to bottom and hopefully mother nature can hold out. And I think the rain is almost out of here and probably overcast and low fifties conditions come first post. Barring any scratches would certainly alter anyone's approach to handicapping these races. Do the conditions Kevin make you change the way you're approaching these races later today? You know, a little bit. Um, I really want to see after this, uh, after training ends here, um, in less than an hour and how much this track can dry out and, uh, you know, and see how the first couple of races play. You know, when the race three is just a, you know, it's a very competitive allowance race that I know a lot of eyeballs are going to be on with Nash uh, returning in that race. And uh, But with the stakes action and the, you know, the end of the card with the guaranteed $500,000 all stakes late pick five sequence, um, you know, I'm, I'm sort of going to see how the early portion of the card plays out, how the track is drying out before I really dive in uh, to the stakes action later on in uh, six or so hours. There are six stakes races slated for the 14-race program today, and the four greatest stakes on the card are run in succession. Races 11, 12, 13, 14. It culminates with the Risen Star as race number 14. The Rachel Alexandra is the race prior to that. Let's talk about the four greatest stakes, and if we have time, we'll circle back to the other two races, the other two stakes earlier in the card. Race 11 kicks it all off. It is the mine shaft. It is a grade three mile and a 16th on the main track. Nine horses are entered. Looks like number three best actor may go postward as the favorite. He is three to one on the morning line. Tell me more about the mine shaft. You know, I, I heard a lot from the Brad Cox camp about best actor, about how well he's doing down here at fairgrounds. You know, the one thing that's sort of interesting to play into these races, you see several horses in this race that, um, you know, are, are making their first start of the year. So is this the, you know, the their big target, or is this a prep for maybe a race on Louisiana Derby Day or even into the first weekend of Keeneland and then the Derby Week? So that's one of the, you know, handicapping puzzles that I, as a horse player you, you have to try and figure out, you know, with a horse like him, even though he's, he's showing a, a great work tab, has the back class, um, in some of those races, but the form was great uh, as a four-year-old. Uh, we'll have to see if this is, you know, his primed and best effort. You know, I think a horse that many people are going to keep an eye on just because of his antics in this race is the number nine horse, Smile Happy, who does the majority of his training down at Kenny McPeak's farm in Florida, and that's just because 
this horse is just a handful to train. Um, you know, he we saw him last year going into the Alley Sheba at Churchill Downs, and I, I, I didn't see him train any better, and he was based at Churchill, um, you know, for almost a month going into that race and uh, really got acclimated to the climate. And then he just sort of went downhill in his uh, his mental state from there. He uh, was very difficult in the Stephen Foster down in Ellis Park. He uh, didn't want to load into the gate. And then in the Louisiana Stakes last time, he, he kind of ran up the track. But if the right smile happy shows up for this race, you know, he's he's definitely shown the talent when he won the Ali Sheba uh, to be very competitive in the older horse division. It's just what smile happy are we going to get? Is he going to be the handful in the paddock and leading up to the gate, or is he going to behave himself a little bit more um, into this race? And so uh, very interested to see what he's going to be like and excited to see, you know, his new campaign for this year, if uh, he can figure things out mentally because he's as, as, was as, as impressive as ever in last year's Ellie Sheba. Trainer Ken McPeak certainly on a roll right now, too. So we'll see if that continues into the mine shaft this afternoon. That's race number 11. Race 12 is the grade three fairground stakes, mile and eighth on the grass. That turf course going to have some type of give to it later today. We'll see if there's any scratches um, in this race. Those are not announced yet. We'll find out later. But assuming the whole field stays intact, tell me more about the fairground stakes. Yeah, this is a really fun renewal of the fairground stakes, a, uh, a full field of 12 in this race. And, you know, I, I feel like there's, you know, several gamblers that I heard out there that are trying to beat uh, strong quality, who's 3-1 to one on the morning line, who uh, won in wire-to-wire fashion last time out in the Colonel Bradley stakes. Um, he, you know, I, he does have a really strong pace advantage, I thought, in this race, where uh, he's going to have to be, I think, a defensive use on tickets because he's, uh, you know, he can go and and put this field to sleep as he did last time out when Florent Giroux, you know, set very modest fractions in the Colonel Bradley, and I can see that race playing out the same as it it could this afternoon. You know, another horse that I'm very excited about seeing is Gigante, uh, eight to one on the morning line for Steve Asmussen. This horse just never seems to get as much respect as he deserves. Um, you know, he, he's a Virginia bred who always shows up for the Asmussen camp, uh, won the woodchopper last time out at odds of three to one. I don't know if that was the most difficult woodchopper field in the world. Uh, Northern invader was okay that day who he's defeated in his last two starts, both in the Commonwealth and the woodchopper. Uh, but he just never seems to get the respect that he may deserve. And, uh, one that I'm going to keep an eye on what his price is like come first post. He's a definitely a dangerous contender and to his inside to beatbox who uh, just finished a game second last time out. I just don't know if the pace is going to be in his favor as it wasn't last time in the Colonel Bradley when uh, strong quality took him wire to wire. So uh, a very interesting field. Those are the three I'm I'm most keeping an eye on, and we'll have to see what this turf is come uh, race number 12 this afternoon. Kevin Kirstein with me here on the Horse Racing Radio Network, walking through the greatest stakes taking place at Fairgrounds later today. We've looked at the first two, two more to go. These are the big ones for the three-year-olds, the Phillies and then the boys, and the Phillies in the spotlight in race 13, the mile and a 16th grade two, Rachel Alexandra, a field of seven, a a very interesting field of seven, in my opinion anyway. I'll I'll be anxious to hear your thoughts, Kevin. VV's dream for Ken McPeak, the five-to-two morning line favorite. Let's talk about this race. Yeah, this is a very fun renewal of, uh, of the Rachel Alexandra. And, you know, you, you don't get the, the largest of fields, but it's it's very competitive. Um, you know, Vivi's Dream, who has made Mike Diliberto's, uh morning line favorite at 5-2, to two, 
you know, when she won the Pocahontas at Churchill Downs, she just looked like she could be anything. And I, I do think that she has the quality to her to be a very impressive filly, you know, even into, um, you know, her next season. I think she's going to be probably one of those, you know, three top late season three-year-olds into her four-year-old campaign. It's just what does she want to do being a daughter of Matoli? Does she want to handle the mile and a 16th distance? When she won the uh, Pocahontas back in September, that was a one-turn mile at Churchill Downs. And then uh, she finished second in the Alcibiades as the heavy favorite, and then this really heavy favorite in the Rags to Riches finished uh, third beat in nine lengths. So, you know, what does she want to do in the long run? Maybe, you know, eventually down the road, the distances won't be a problem going two turns, but um, we're, we're still yet to see what these offspring of Matoli really want to do. Do they want to stretch out to the two turns, or is one turn going to be their best game? You know, But besides her in this race, if you're against her like I am, the number four intricate for Brendan Walsh, he looks to repeat in this race, and then in the Longines, Kentucky Oaks, as he did last year with Pretty Mischievous. Uh, she won't be the price as Pretty Mischievous was in this race. I think Pretty Mischievous paid like $18 to, uh, to win the Rachel last year. She's 3-1 to one on the morning line. I thought She's been really good in the uh, the works that I've seen on video prepping into this race and uh, working with older horse banishing and uh, just really hanging with him and even galloping out in front of him. So that was really good to see of a, a three-year-old filly who's making her first start of the year. I think she could be anything on the road to the Kentucky Oaks Trail. So I'm looking for her and then a price in here that I'm, I'm going to keep in the gimmicks as the number three perfect shot for Steve Asmussen. I don't think that was her best effort last time out um, in the uh, Silver Bullet Day. If she gets a little bit more pace to run into, I think that'll be more favorable as we saw in her maiden race. She was 10-1 to on the morning line, uh, and she may just go a little bit forgotten about in this race. The one horse I wanted to mention that may be scratched, I uh, haven't heard officially yet, but that's been the chatter is West Omaha, the far outside horse. She's likely to go in the Honeybee Stakes. Uh, next week down at Oaklawn. So, uh, you know, it could be a field of six, field of seven, uh, but it'll be a great race to kick off the championship series on the road to the Kentucky Oaks. I want to spend time talking with you about pool number four of the Kentucky Derby future wager here in just a minute after we talk about the Risen Star. But in that pool, Locked uh, was tabbed as the 10-to-1 morning line individual favorite. And all of this is because of the fact that Fierceness disappointed in his three-year-old debut. So now Locked, who we haven't even seen as a three-year-old yet, now the 10-to-1 individual favorite. Um, is this the year, Kevin, and I'm going to ask Dale and Tim this question, and I ask the answer, is this the year that maybe, considering the wide-open nature so far, that we see a three-year-old filly take a shot against the boys at some point? You know, we could. Um, there's been three that were nominated to the early part of the Triple Crown, and, um, you know, you, you may see someone spot a, a Philly aggressively um, into this championship series because it, it, the derby picture right now at this stage with, you know, just 77 days until the first Saturday in May is just as wide open as can be. You know, can fierceness bounce back from his Holy Bull defeat? Um, you know, is locked going to, you know, come back to the races stronger than ever as we saw him when he win, won the Breeders' Futurity, when he had his early season hiccup now, uh, missing his first prep race? You know, who can uh, really stamp themselves as one of the favorites after today's Risen Star? It's just so many questions right now at this stage. It's a really fun picture leading up to Derby 150. And, you know, it, it could be a year that maybe someone will take a gamble and give a try if uh, a Philly really shines here in these, uh, you know, the, the early part of the championship series in February and early March that they may give them one shot to make uh, the Kentucky Derby in the final prep in April. Big field in the Risen Star to cap things off at the fairgrounds today. Mile and an eighth on the main track. Um, do you think the upsets – in the Derby preps continue here, or do we get a favorite that runs away from everybody? 
it, it, it's funny because there's uh, this race has really everything in it. It has, um, you know, a very muddled pace or scenario where what will Hall of Fame trainer Steve Asmussen do with his aforementioned Hall of Fame and track Phantom, who both have shown speed in their last starts. And, uh, and, and there's not, a, you know, a ton of speed signed on here. You have uh, the the two-year-olds from last year that are making their first start of the year that were impressive in their uh, final starts of their years with uh, Honor Marie, Real Men Violin, and uh, Sierra Leone. How will they bounce back to kick off their three-year-old year? And then you have the uh, wild cards and the Pletcher trainees shipping in from South Florida. So it, this is a great race overall. I, it, it, in my mind, I wouldn't be surprised if one of nine horses could win this race. I think the the first two horses in your program, Tizzy Indian, Awesome Ruta, and also on the far outside, B Dancer, are probably up against it. But any of those other nine that are sandwiched between them in the starting gates, I think really have a shot to win this race. And so uh, just overall, this race is, is very competitive. And, you know, if you have a strong opinion in here in this, you know, late pick five sequence, I would recommend, you know, taking a solid stand in here. Or if you want to try and, you know, have an opinion in one of the other races, I can see you know, a, a lot of people spreading in this race just because anything could happen um, in this afternoon's Risen Star. Yep, it is wide open and maybe another upset in the making. Who knows? Uh, it's been that kind of derby trail so far outside of Nisos, who dominated in California, but he, of course, ineligible for the Kentucky Derby at this point. He is also not eligible for the Kentucky Derby future wager pools taking place this weekend. Just talked about Locked being opening as the 10-1 to 1 individual betting choice in there. Tell me more about what you're seeing from this year's uh, fourth derby pool. Yeah, we used seven horses that are in this afternoon's risen star in this uh, fourth pool, the Kentucky Derby future wage. And that, you know, goes to show the depth of the risen star, which we've seen year over year now um, going back to 2021 with, with Mandaloon winning the Kentucky Derby. And then, you know, the last two years, the second and third place finishers in the Kentucky Derby exited this risen star, you know, so the horses don't have to win the risen star, but you know, that just goes to show you the quality of horses that we're going to see this afternoon and, and reflect in that pool four of the future wager. And then of course the eighth horse that is running today is Nash in race three in that first level allowance race. And, um, you know, with the Derby Future Wager pool, it's already open, but it won't close until Sunday at 6 o'clock, right before the Sunland Derby runs, Eastern time. Um, we'll have to see what the results are of this Risen Star to really see what the market does, because I, I guarantee there's a lot of gamblers that are going to wait and see, you know, what the results of this Risen Star are and, and who could, you know, stamp themselves as, you know, one of the favorites that are not running this weekend, or if there's, you know, a blanket finish in the Risen Star between, you know, three runners that are in this uh, future wager field, that betting will reflect that. So uh, very interesting to see, you know, a horse like Just a Touch, who's 21 to 1 right now in the early wagering, uh, is a horse I'm keeping an eye on because uh, he's not running this weekend. And I saw him work yesterday and uh, looks to be a very talented contender for Brad Cox, who, who broke his maiden. Uh, but what will his price be in this wager? And, and I'm still, you know, as a gambler, you want to hold out to try and get as much value as you possibly can because anything can happen in 77 days. And so, um, you know, you probably want the 40 to 50 to 1 range to have this, you know, long-term wager uh, over the next two and a half months until uh, the first Saturday in May. And so uh, with, with Locked being the, the morning line choice, he's about 17 to 1 right now. It'll be very interesting to see um, over the next day and a half what this wagering does, uh, especially after today's Risen Star. A lot of questions that need to be answered uh, over the next, as you said, what, 77 days? Is that what it is to the Kentucky Derby? It's crazy. It'll be here before we know it. Wow. 
Wow, yeah, it will be here before we know it. And, Kevin, I can't wait to see you guys over at Churchill Downs. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, but really appreciate the time here this morning. Enjoy the Risen Star and the Rachel Alexandra and that really great card at the fairgrounds today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Best of luck to everyone gambling. And, uh, you know, pay attention to this road to the Kentucky Open, Kentucky Derby. It's just as wide open as can be. And, and looking forward to uh, the first Saturday in May for the 150th running. Good luck, brother. All right. Thanks, man. All right, Kevin Kirstein here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Coming up next, you're going to hear this week's edition of Kentucky Bread with trainer Whit Beckman. Then I say hello to Eric Hamelback, the CEO of the National HBPA. He is going to talk some Claiming Crown with us. Big update coming out this week regarding Claiming Crown. We'll hear about that next. This is the Equine Forum presented by Twin Spires on HRRN. Race to Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void were prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Fans, make plans to join us as the stage is set for a big three-day weekend here at Spectacular Santa Anita. On Saturday, our main event is the $100,000 baffle stakes for three-year-olds going six and a half furlongs down the hillside turf course. On Sunday, California-bred fillies and mares will go six furlongs on the main track in the $100,000 Spring Fever. And be sure to join us for special holiday racing on President's Day Monday. Monday is also Dollar Day with $1 beers and sodas as well as $2 hot dogs. The $100,000 Tis Now Stakes for California breads at one mile will highlight what should be a terrific day of racing on President's Day. And a quick reminder, the 87th running of the Santa Anita Handicap is now just three weeks away on Saturday, March 7th. Fans, don't forget, each Friday, we offer free admission and parking as well as $3 beers and $5 margaritas. First post time each day is at 12.30 p.m. Santa Anita. It's the great race place. The best son of leading sire Munnings, Jack Christopher, showed he was an exceptional talent early, winning the grade one champagne stakes with a 102 buyer. At three, Jack Christopher racked up wins in the grade two Pat Day Mile. The grade one Woody Stevens winning by 10 lengths and proved much the best in the grade one H. Allen Jerkins. With his pedigree and outstanding physique, Jack Christopher represents fantastic value with his foals arriving in 2024. Call the team at Ashford today to book your mare. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. All west toward the inside as they straighten away. Money supply and finally bright spark. Heads are turned for home three quarters. Woman at 14.35 seconds. Frosted Grace. Frosted Grace has taken the lead from King's Ovation. Moving up in between horses. Here comes Money Supply with a strong run. And Money Supply going for the final 16th. Luigi Spirit on the far outside. It's Money Supply. And Jared Lubberry. Money Supply in the jewel by two. Luigi Spirit gains second. Frosted Grace third. Then Bright Spark again. First one. Big win in the Claiming Crown last year for Money Supply. The Claiming Crown Jewel. Going to talk Claiming Crown with Eric Hamelback coming up in just a few minutes. The Claiming Crown last year, as you just heard from John G. Dooley, was at the fairgrounds, now moving to Churchill Downs this year. That's all ahead right after... 
this week's edition of Kentucky Bread, which is presented every week by the Kentucky Thoroughbred Development and Breeders Incentive Funds. It pays to race and breed in the Bluegrass State. Awards up to $3,000 a race are available from the Kentucky Breeders Incentive Fund for winning an allowance or maiden special weight race anywhere in the USA or at Woodbine Racetrack. And awards of up to $4,000 a race are available for winning a non-graded stakes anywhere in the USA or at Woodbine. And that, trust me, is just the tip of the iceberg. I'm going to tell you more about some of the lucrative awards that you can take advantage of when racing and breeding in Kentucky after this visit with today's special Kentucky bred guest trainer Whit Beckman. Whit, appreciate the conversation, my friend. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, in the first half of the show, we got a chance to talk about the horses you're going to be saddling Saturday afternoon at the fairgrounds. Now, I want to talk about your upbringing and being raised in Louisville and around the industry from a very young age. Take me back to the beginning. Well, yeah, my dad, I guess he's a equine veterinarian he does a lot of repro work um some big, bigger breeding farms out in uh uh the louisville area um ups and downs and uh, hermitage farm so you know yeah just growing up my mom was always heavily involved with it it wasn't ever something i was uh you know super pumped about as a young age just kind of you know being around a drug to certain events this side or the other having to go to work long days early mornings but um yeah, as time went on, I just realized that I'd always been in the right place at the right time. And then when I eventually uh, had the conscious awareness to realize that, everything kind of fell into place. Was this all you ever wanted to do? Or were, was there a time when you said, well, maybe I'll do something different with my life? Um, there were plenty of, uh, I think I wanted to do everything, you know, under the sun for a long time, just bounced around. And then I think, you know, I did go to college and uh, just didn't really, uh, you know, feel like that was where my ultimate place was going to be um so as i came out i just kind of fell back into a routine working with the animals and it just kind of yeah the connection just kind of grabbed me and you know from there we've come to this point now tell me about racing in kentucky why is that so special for you well just being a kentucky and my whole family you know we go back on my mom's side you know many generations a lot of uh breeders and you know um just you know racing connections from stewards to trainers to everything so obviously just being in my backyard where churchill and the derby is you know to compete and to be there around family friends and just yeah it's a uh it's nice to be able to uh live and work and you know be pad do your passion you know where you grew up as a horse trainer you are running your own business so you have to make good business decisions why is it a good business move to race in kentucky well, if you look at the Kentucky bred incentives, I mean, how much money we're running for down there, um, you know, no matter what your level of horse, you know, there's just so much more you can get out of each start. Um, and then as far as, you know, we got a great year round program between Turfway, Ellis, you know, Churchill, Keeneland, it's just, you know, as far as wanting to be somewhere and stay pretty local and not have to like really, you know, move out to different markets in order to find, say, you know, good purses, or, you know, good stakes. It's just an easy one-stop shop for uh, for us Kentucky boys. And you bring up the fact that it's for any level of horse, and I think that's important. Um, does that help you, Wit, when you're starting to plan your schedule for the year? You're focused on your stakes horses, but you're focused on the rest of the barn too. They're not all graded stakes runners. So how right. much of those incentives in Kentucky help you with your planning? 
A ton. I mean, obviously, it with this amount of money, we've got a lot of, you know, nicer horses. So, as, you know, as you kind of go down the levels, you still have a lot of quality horses, you know. So, it's, you know, one of those things you can kind of take every single level and just kind of put them in a place they belong. And you kind of know real quick if you got some that don't fit or if, you know, you're kind of right in the right spot, but, you know, need to drop them level. But you're still running for a decent purse. So, owners are able to, you know, kind of absorb and, you know, uh, make it a little easier to keep horses in Kentucky. I'm glad that you're there. I'm glad you're a Kentucky guy and uh, all the best in the races coming up Saturday afternoon at the fairgrounds. And let's hope you get that crack at the elusive Kentucky Derby in May. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. That is Whit Beckman on this week's edition of Kentucky Red. Join me next Saturday here on the Equine Forum for another brand new edition. This segment presented every week by the Kentucky Thoroughbred Development and Breeders Incentive Funds, providing awards up to $5,000 and $7,500 for winning a grade one, grade two, or grade three race anywhere in the USA and in multiple countries, and awards of $200,000 allocated to the top 20 claiming horses in Kentucky with the most claiming wins in the bluegrass state. Breed them, raise them, race them. We all win with Kentucky Breads. Well, and speaking of Kentucky, some big news coming out from the National HBPA this week when it was announced that the 2024 claiming crown will return to Churchill Downs for the second time in three years. If you remember, last year it was held at the fairgrounds in New Orleans, now returning to Churchill beneath the Twin Spires on Saturday, November 16th. And joining me now is the CEO of the National HBPA, Eric Hamelback. Eric, good morning. Huge news for fans of the Claiming Crown. Hey, good morning, Mike. Um, very excited. Uh, very excited to be back at Churchill. Uh, the, the, uh, the entire CDI group have been excellent to work with. We were uh, fortunate to be there in 2022 and try it down in New Orleans uh, last year. And, you know, I think just the excitement that everyone felt in 2022, we were certainly encouraged to try to bring it back. And uh, it just all fell into place. And, and uh, November 16th is the day, and we're uh, very excited to be back. If trainers or owners are listening now and they say, hey, I want to participate in this. This is awesome. I want to be at Churchill Downs on November 16th. When can they start making the nominations and all of those types of preparations? Absolutely. Thanks for asking that because I'm currently in the process of going through with Ben Huffman and, and President uh, Rick Hiles getting all of the uh, information put together we are going to wait until after the Derby to announce the final purse structure, but it will be over a million dollars as it was in 2022 and 2023. Um, in addition to that, each, each of the, each of the races is going to have some KTDF money. So it's good that you just highlighted that and the importance of the Kentucky bread uh, for the claiming races. Right now, we're looking at the eligibility request would probably close on October 26th. So we are in the process of getting all the forms and stuff ready and uh, put onto the website. And, of course, we'll be sending out uh, emails and news blasts and trying to get hot links for everybody to get uh, get those forms in their hands and, and start shopping for horses and, and get them ready for the claiming crown. We always say that the Claiming Crown is the Breeders' Cup for the blue-collar horses in thoroughbred racing. And in the press release that was sent out this week, National HBPA President Dr. Doug Daniels was quoted as saying, 
only 20 horses can make the Derby starting gate. And for most trainers and owners, that's a pipe dream. Not so the claiming crown. And that sums it up perfectly right there. It it does. Yeah, it was a great quote by Doug. And, uh, you know, he's really embraced, uh, you know, being president of the National HBPA and his excitement around this event uh, since he was elected has been pretty palpable. He had a horse uh, actually entered. Uh, He is an owner uh, breeder uh, as well as his veterinary work in Virginia actually had a horse uh, entered in 2022. But when it came off the turf because of the snow that day, uh, he ended up having to scratch, but he was so excited to be in the race. And I'm sure uh, he and his trainer are going to be pointing back for November as well. But he's, you know, he's, he's spot on. I mean, this is, uh, you know, an, uh, an event that really highlights the horses that, as I always, I always say, that the Tuesday-Thursday horses that are making purses for Saturday horses, this is their chance to shine. Um, and so we had, a, we had an awesome showing in 2022 and 2023, and we really expect to just build on that. Now, if we can keep our fingers crossed, uh, for good weather in November, uh, Churchill <laughs> will have eight races, three of them on the turf. But I will say, and, and you likely remember in 2022, when we were at Churchill and we had to come off the turf because of the snow and the rain, uh, we didn't have that many defectors. Most of the folks stayed in, uh, competed on the dirt, and, and ended up being a great day. I remember having this similar conversation with you on this show last year when it was announced that the claiming crown <laughs> would be at the fairgrounds. You are a Louisiana guy through and through. So be honest with me. There has to be a little piece of you that's a bit disappointed that you're not going to be at the fairgrounds again next year. Oh, it's not little, Mike. It's big. It's a big <laughs> piece. I, you know, I, I love I love going back to Louisiana any chance I get. I really enjoy the fairgrounds, as probably a lot of your listeners know. You know, growing up in Louisiana, uh, working the fairgrounds through high school and, you know, even into college. Uh, actually, you know, I was telling this story to, to Gary Palmisano just a couple of days ago. I was supposed to report to work in December of 93 at the fairgrounds uh, one day uh, after it burned down. So it's got a special place in my heart. The fairgrounds does. Um, but, yeah, it's, 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 it's a bittersweet move, uh, but it's the right move for the connections. And again, a lot of folks told us when we were here in 2022, which was the first time it was at Churchill, got a lot of comments, uh, especially from trainers like Tom Van Berg, who I got to, to, to visit with this week. You know, it's, it's great to have a spot that is more central than what was quote unquote Gulfstream or the fairgrounds. Right. So there's, there's an opportunity for a lot of folks to ship in here. And, and I think it's, it's kind of teed up to be that central location. Uh, and hopefully we'll be here for a little while and get to really expound upon that. The Claiming Crown was created in 1999. And yes. you think back on all of the different changes and the different venues that have hosted the Claiming Crown over the years. It's incredible to think that it is still going as strong as it is today. And that's a testament to everybody that's played a role in making this event successful. Oh, no, no doubt. No doubt. I mean, you know, you, you really have to give a lot of credit to, you know, TOBA, Thoroughbred Owners and Breeders Association, uh, and the National HBPA very early on in 1999. Uh, I still give a lot of credit um, to, to one of my mentors, Tom Metzen, uh, who we have memorialized a race uh, in his honor. 
But, you know, having the foresight way back at Canterbury and all those years ago to really start start this as an event, right? And I've, I've really tried to uh, voice an appreciation for this as an event. You know, I think that most of us in racing really look at the culmination of a season ending at the Breeders' Cup. And although it's still in the same calendar year, I kind of like to think and express the claiming crown as the start of the new season. You know, it's, it's a new event. It's in a space where there's a little bit of a lull coming out of the Breeders' Cup, and boom, we're kicking off a new season. So I think that, you know, it, it, it's really become something that people strive for. You know, again, talking to some trainers over at the training center this week, you know, they look, they look for horses, right? I mean, just like you said, to get prepared for, and they look to claim horses. And certainly when you're looking down at Oaklawn, where it seems like there's 50 claims for every horse in every claiming race, you know, those guys have that in mind. Uh, and there hasn't been any better person in doing that than Mike Maker, still the, the leading trainer uh, with 22 wins uh, over the claiming crown years. He and the Ramseys that were so successful in picking a horse out early in the year and pointing them towards this event. Eric Camelback, President CEO of the National HBPA, with me here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Uh, Eric, I don't want to gloss over a name that you just mentioned, and that's Tom Metzen, who you referred to as your mentor. He's somebody who was so integral in this event and in so many other facets of the thoroughbred industry. Just talk a little bit about uh, how special it is to have a race named in his honor as part of the claiming crown. Well, Tom was a very special person. Um, and again, when I took the position um, here with the national HBPA in early 2015, uh, Tom was on the interview committee, um, just a, you know, salt of the earth person. Um, you know, I hadn't met him before, you know, but, for him to embrace me in the position, um, you know, not necessarily seen by everybody as, you know, an HBPA guy. Matter of fact, you know, people saw me coming into the position working for Frank, working with Frank Stronic and, you know, not sure how I would develop into the role. Tom was always there for me to pick up the phone call he at the time was the chairman of our assistance committee which governs the foundation um extremely benevolent in his heart and in his actions and he always took the time to give me advice uh and and when he was still with us and he was uh at the time the the central regional vice president so he sat at the head of the table so to speak with the executive committee meetings and he would always kind of nudge me and say, okay, let's get this agenda moving. we got to get to the races. So he was always, always looking to, to you know, handicap. Uh, he was the ultimate horse player, ultimate horseman, uh, and just, uh, uh, you know, a, a pillar, but always there with great advice. Well, Eric, kudos to you and to everyone involved with the Claiming Crown for bringing the event back to the Twin Spires again this year. It'll be special. Again, that comes up November 16th, and it's going to be a wonderful day. I think I inadvertently uh, referred to you as president and CEO of the oh, National exactly. HBPA a minute ago. <laughs> Listen, you don't need any more hats to wear. <laughs> CEO is enough, exactly. isn't it? It is enough. Yeah, it is enough. No, I, <laughs> I, 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 we get that a lot, but uh, – 
President Daniels doesn't doesn't mind, um, but he knows the president. And he's chairman of the board, and and uh, I just they point me in the right direction and turn me on and let me go. <laughs> well, keep it rolling, brother. You're doing a fantastic job. Uh, we'll catch up again soon, I'm sure. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate everything you guys do. Of course, Eric Hamill back here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Coming up next, we'll turn our attention westward to Sunland Park in New Mexico. Big day there tomorrow. The Sunland Park Oaks, the Sunland Park Derby, all on the docket in New Mexico tomorrow. I'll talk to trainer Phil D'Amato, who is participating in both of those races in the next segment. This is the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires on HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. Race to Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void where prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. The race is on at Sam Houston Race Park. Don't miss a minute of the action now through April with Thoroughbred Stakes Racing every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. There's something different every weekend, including special events that are fun for the whole family. And, of course, we're the place for live music and great drink specials every Friday, along with delicious dining and the best Sunday brunch around. So race in for all the excitement at Houston's best bet for fun and entertainment. Sam Houston Race Park. Visit SHRP.com for details. It's time now to shine the spotlight on the Darley Taking the Reins Performer of the Week. Here's the line, May Moon! May Moon found another gear and beat imagination. May Moon, the son of Darley Stallion Frosted, scored a hard-fought win in his second career start and first around two turns last Sunday at Santa Anita. The TDN Rising Star, trained by Bob Baffert, was purchased as a two-year-old for $900,000 and races in the colors of Sedan Racing Stables. His game victory makes him your Darley Taking the Reins Performer of the Week. Darley Stallion Frosted. His eight greatest stakes horses in 2023 are best among all stallions standing for under 30000 Frosted stands value priced for the 2024 season at just $10,000 live full. Learn more about Frosted and all the Darley stallions by visiting DarleyAmerica.com. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. At the top of the stretch, it's Winstock tackled by Wind Me Up. Coach Prime the outside and Stronghold is getting up along the rail. He'll have a say in the outcome. 316 to go and Winstock joined on the inside by Stronghold. They're clear of Wind Me Up and Coach Prime. It's Winstock and Stronghold racing tightly. They bumped near the 16th. Coach Prime's coming after them late on the scene. Winstock's just the leader from Stronghold and Coach Prime and Winstock has beaten Stronghold and Coach Prime, followed fourth by Wind Me Up. Heck of a stretch battle there between Winstock and Stronghold in the Los Alamitos Futurity. That was on December 16th of last year. Stronghold came up just a half a length short. He's hoping for a better result as he goes postward as the likely favorite in tomorrow's Sunland Park Derby. He's 5-2 on the morning line for trainer Phil D'Amato, who is also going to saddle a filly in the Sunland Park Oaks that we will talk about here this morning, too. Phil, good morning. Appreciate the time. Good morning, Mike. 
Let's start with Stronghold, since we just heard that race call. I know you would have liked to have made up that half length and found Stronghold in front, but what'd you make of that effort? No, I thought it was a pretty valiant effort. It was his first time going long, um, you know, against winners and, you know, in a in a graded stake race to boot. And, and uh, that the inside at Los Al's pretty deep, and that's kind of where you don't want to be, but he, he was kind of forced in there and, and I just thought he you know he fought valiantly you know uh, got bumped around there a little bit and uh, was still there at the end and hopefully it's something you know we've uh, built on and we'll have him ready for this race he's never run a bad race he's only won one time in four starts but he has three seconds he always puts forth his best effort uh, prior to that low sale futurity he finished second in the Bob Hope stakes at Del Mar to Nisos, who may be the best three-year-old in the country right now. What do you what do you have to do with Stronghold now to get him to take that next step along the road to the Kentucky Derby? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of up to him. You know, we've done all our, uh, you know, homework with him and, and putting him in all different kind of various scenarios to, you know, get him ready to, to uh, you know, keep competing around two turns, getting him to relax better and, and finishing stronger. And, uh, you know, we, we think we've done that and he's just a horse. He's a smart horse and, and, uh, on the improve. He seems to have a wonderful running style too. Very tactical. Uh, you mentioned trying to get him to relax a little bit more. What do you do in the mornings with him to teach him to do that? I just, just, just take your time with him. You know, my, my wife gets on him, take him with the pony, get him to stand there, uh, take a deep breath when he gets to the track, you know, start slow early getting him to, to relax and then, you know, pick up in his gallops late and, and same in his workouts. He has an excellent series of workouts for his three-year-old debut. Are, are you seeing changes in him either physically or mentally from what we saw in late December? Yeah, I think all those things that we touched on, I, I'm, you know, we're seeing that he is taking a deep breath now and, and uh, you know, relaxing more in his workouts and finishing stronger. He's not as keen early. You know, he kind of he knows his job more. Um, all those things, and Antonio Fresu's done a great job helping in that development. He's been breezing him every week, and and he was really happy with his last work. A lot of people might not be familiar with Antonio. Tell me more about him. I think he was one of the top riders in Dubai for a while, and uh, you know decided to make a change. Uh, his agent Tom Canoose told me before he come over here to watch this kid and and to see what he could do and and I watched some of his races over there and liked what I saw and, and you know I think it took him about a month to really acclimate to do you know between dirt and turf but I mean he's to me he's taken to it um very well and very quickly I think you know he won a few races yesterday but he's been on a tear and and he's a, a rider I think he's very adaptable to uh, any style of horse, uh, short, long, dirt, and turf. So uh, I like what I've seen thus far and, and a good young jockey to add to the colony over here. It seems like any time a horse runs in the Sunland Park Derby and makes it to the Kentucky Derby on the first Saturday in May, we always say, well, they're taking the mind that bird route. And that's not a bad route to take because mind that bird, of course, won the Derby. Um, was this always the, the goal for his starting point with his three-year-old campaign? Timing wise, definitely uh, between um, the Del Mar stake and the uh, Los Al Futurity was I think it was only like a, a three week span there. So 
we put two good races into him in a in a short period of time. And after that low salary race, I wanted to give him a little extra time to mature and, and grow up. And, and timing-wise, this looked like a, a really good spot for him. I know you want to see him win this race today, and you want to put those 20 derby points in his bankroll. Uh, but does he does he have to win this race today to stay on the road to the Kentucky Derby, in your opinion? I, he doesn't have to, but, I, I mean, he'd have to run a good, you know, first, second, or, you know, flying third. But I, I would de- we still have more time and more preps. But I definitely want to see a good effort um, with him and, and uh, you know, run a, a forward race where he's finishing strong and, and uh, galloping uh, out well through the wire. Trainer Phil D'Amato with me here on the Equine Forum presented by Twin Spires. Looking ahead to tomorrow's uh, Sunland Park Derby and Sunland Park Oaks. And in the Oaks, you're going to saddle a very talented three-year-old filly. She has only had one start. She won that race very nicely. It is simply enchanting the daughter of Nyquist. Tell me more about her. She's a big strapping filly. I mean, we, we thought two turns with her all along. Kind of pleasantly surprised she won first time out going short she's just a big rumbling filly so um you know when this race came up uh it's hard to get a one other than uh straight three-year-old fillies on the dirt over here at santa anita to go so we thought this was probably like the the next uh, best step we could we could do other than the runner and uh stake races right off the bat over here at santa anita so i think it's a good stepping stone to see where we are at um, but she's she has the looks and uh, acts like a, a filly that wants to go long. Not because she's a filly, but because she is so big and robust. Do you train her differently than you do Stronghold? Not really with her. I mean, every horse we we you know treat individually. But I mean, she is doing something new. For we are going long for the first time against winners you know, against horses that have had multiple wins. So we're doing two things at once. Uh, with these younger horses, usually you try to take them through the paces, but uh, these days you got to kind of think outside the box when, you, when you're when you going and trying to, you know, go from step to step with these three-year-olds here. And, and uh, so, you know, but but I, she's another one we put some nice long gallops in, but We've thought all along, um, every time she breezes and she gallops out, the, the, the longer the better. It's really interesting you bring that up, Phil, because I was I was actually thinking of asking this question when we first started talking about Simply Enchanting. You see that she has the one sprint race, the one victory at six furlongs. Now she stretches out. Um, there are different schools of thoughts on this, as I've talked to different trainers over the years. Some trainers like to give their horses a couple of sprint races and build the foundation before they stretch them out doesn't sound to me like that's really your philosophy. You're okay with one sprint race and then let them go long. Well, you know, again, it's just to kind of, you have to, you have to go with what, you know, um, is, is brought upon you and what your options are. Um, it's back in the day, you know, you could take your gradual steps up with the way that the conditions of the races were and the, you know the horse population nowadays um you you know in this environment when you win a a three-year-old special weight race you're really pretty much thrown into stakes company you know so um you just try to find the best spot possible uh and i you know i'm thinking i'm hoping that uh, this is the next best step and if not then we 
take a step back and go to plan B with her. But, um, you know, it's if she can run well here, then we can, again, we can kind of go further along and maybe, you know, make her a, a, an Oaks uh, potential kind of filly. Yeah, let's keep in mind the Sunland Park Oaks is one mile. It's not like you're going from six furlongs and then sending her a mile and an eighth or a mile and a quarter in her second start. So she goes from six furlongs to a mile. Um, how significant is that jump, Phil, for, for a, a filly like this or even a colt going from six furlongs to a mile in their next start? Oh, it, it's definitely a step, you know, a step up for them. But, uh, you know, it's, some horses can handle it and some can't. And uh, it seems like the classier ones – these uh these two I'm bringing to um, New Mexico they're, they're very well bred big scopy kind of horses that that uh, we've had high, high hopes for all along and have shown class and uh, when you kind of have all those traits these are the ones you take shots with and if again if it doesn't work you you uh, reassess and and uh, go to the next step but um, these look like the next logical steps for both of them and and uh, we're taking a shot. Well, Phil D'Amato is as good as it gets. He is closing in on the 1,000 career win milestone. He sits at 922 coming into today's races. His runners have earned more than $68 million in purses, and he's hoping to add to that total today and tomorrow. So, Phil, all the best. I, I really appreciate the time this morning. Good luck tomorrow. Good luck today, too. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, there he is, Phil D'Amato here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. A couple of live horses coming up tomorrow at Sunland Park. When I come back, I'll take a look at a few dates in historical racing history as they apply to this weekend, and then I'll tell you what's ahead in hour number three. This is the Equine Forum on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Woodford Feed, where tradition merges with technology. Family-owned since 1940 and providing exceptional customer service, Woodford Feed specializes in the highest quality feed, using only the finest ingredients to ensure optimal nutrition for your horses. In addition, Woodford Feed can help with all your farm needs, including field seed, fertilizer, and weed control. So whether your horse is sprinting around the racetrack or has a foal by her side, count on Woodford Feed to provide the quality nutrition necessary to perform at the highest level. Woodford Feed for Sales Kentucky. Retirement can be scary, but only if you're not prepared. That's why AARP created thisispretirement.org. Because unless you've already retired, you're in pretirement and you still have time to plan. Learn about retirement savings options, potential tax breaks, and how you can build savings over time. Visit thisispretirement.org for free resources to help you customize your action plan and feel the retirement fear disappear. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Adopt U.S. Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting. A teenager learning the lingo. Today I'm going to help parents translate teen slang. Now, when a teen says something is on fleek, it's exactly like saying that's rad. It simply means that something is awesome or cool. Another one is totes. It's exactly like saying totally, just shorter. As in... I totes love going to the mall with Becca. Another word you might hear is jelly. Jelly is a shorter, better way to say jealous. As in, Chloe, I am like so jelly of your unicorn phone case. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will think you're, um, rad just the same. To learn more, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. Want to get the latest HRN content directly on your computer or mobile device? 
then subscribe to our podcast using the Podbean app or Apple Podcasts. Just go to hrrn.podbean.com on your computer and click follow or download the Podbean app and search HRRN. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and listen to our latest episodes anytime. Don't miss a thing. Subscribe to our podcasts today. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Welcome back. Mike Penna, Baron of the Backstretch, with you on this Saturday morning, wrapping up two hours of the program. Still plenty more to come in hour number three, and I'll get you filled in on that coming up in just a few minutes. But if you did miss the first two hours, you missed an awful lot. Got a chance to catch up with trainer Gary Shearer, trainer Whit Beckman, and trainer Phil D'Amato in that last segment. You heard from Kevin Kirstein walking through all of the greatest stakes races on the card at the fairgrounds later today and Eric Hamelback of the National HBPA. So we have covered an awful lot of ground. Poll question this morning, and so many of you taking time to comment as well. Really appreciate that. Who will win today's Risen Star at the fairgrounds? Track Phantom, Sierra Leone, Honor Marie, or other? And if you pick the other category, I'm asking you to please comment with your selection. Let me know who you think beats the top three. Track Phantom is the individual choice right now. 34% of you saying it is going to be Track Phantom. 26% clicking the other category. And when Kevin was on with me at 9 o'clock, Kevin talked about the fact that this is such a wide-open renewal of this race, and it seems like every race this year outside of Nisos in California has presented us with a bit of an upset, a surprise, and... They've all, it it appears at this point, like the Derby Trail is wide open. There is no singular horse, again, other than Nisos, that has set themselves apart. And Nisos, as of now, can't even compete in the Kentucky Derby. So we'll see. Track Phantom again, 34%. Of those of you who chose other, JJ says Catching Freedom would be the pick. John says Hall of Fame. And Bob chimes in on Twitter and says Resilience, expecting a peak race today. And if you don't do social media, you can send your responses via email. Mike at horseracingradio.net. Get in touch with the show that way. Let me know who you think is going to win today's Risen Star at the fairgrounds. All right, time now to take a look at some historical dates in racing history as they apply to this particular weekend. And I'll start with yesterday, February 16th, 1999. That was the day that jockey Julie Crone became the first female jockey to win 3,500 races, taking the third race at the fairground. So happy anniversary to the Hall of Famer Julie Crone. February 17th, today, the anniversary of Lafitte Pinkai Jr. recording his 6,000th career win aboard Doria's Delight in the fifth race at Santa Anita Another legendary Hall of Famer in our sport. That all occurred February 17th, 1985. Those are historical dates in racing history as they apply to this particular weekend. As I mentioned, plenty more coming up here in hour number three, including Dale Romans and Tim Wilkin with I Ask, They Answer in the final segment of today's show. And as I told you at the top of the program, one of the things I'm going to ask them about is the composition of of the current top 10 in the Derby point standings. Todd Pletcher, Brad Cox are the only trainers among the top 10 horses to have won the Kentucky Derby before. Hasn't happened for Steve Asmussen. Hasn't happened for Ken McPeak or Joe Orsino. Butch Reed, 
Jose Francisco D'Angelo, Robbie Medina, or Larry Demerit. Has not happened for any of those men yet, but currently they are all in the top 10 in the point standings with their horses. So which of those is most likely to break through on the first Saturday in May? I'm going to be really anxious to hear. I am really anxious to hear Dale and Tim's comments on that and which way they would go. Look, Steve Asmussen's always going to be the favorite in this category. I told you that earlier in the program. Walk through his resume. More than 10,000 career victories, but this race has eluded Steve. Maybe this is the year he breaks through. He just has to focus on getting past the Risen Star with Track Phantom or Hall of Fame later today. I know that's his immediate focus. We'll see where it goes from there. All right, two hours down, one to go on today's Equine Forum. When I come back, Ashley Anderson will share her thoughts on three races to watch later today in this week's Twin Spires Triple Play. Kurt Becker takes you on his stroll through racing history. And again, Dale and Tim in the final segment at 10.30 Eastern tackling some of the hottest topics in the sport with this week's edition of I Ask, They Answer. If your local station is leaving us at this time, continue listening to hour number three nationwide on Sirius 162 XM 207 in the Louisville, Kentucky market on ESPN 680 or streaming worldwide at horseracingradio.net. Hour three of the Equine Forum is coming up next right after I pause 10 seconds for station identification. This is the Horse Racing Radio Network, where racing comes to talk. This is HRRN, Horse Racing's voice. Sixteenth of a mile to go. Risen star away from the rail. Brian Simon Cordero trying to close the gap. Winning colored third. Risen star wins the Preakness by a length. Oh, a tour de force by the Super Philly. Rachel Alexander, Kevin Morales, and moving up. That's the ladder. She's going to destroy this field. Oh, Super Philly, you bet. What's the final margin? She might have won by 20. Rachel Alexander was absolutely spectacular. Welcome to the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. Mineshaft opening up here, two and a half lengths. Quest giving his only second, and a break of about seven lengths back to evening attire third. They're coming into the final furlong, and it's going to be Mineshaft. Mineshaft, routinely brilliant. To win here at Belmont Park once again. He has won the Jockey Club Gold Cup, and he has done it with style. Royal Delta digs deep and starts to inch tier. Mind Miss Aurelia stretching her, but the move they ask, the more Royal Delta game. What a tremendous lead. Royal Delta and Mike Smith have won the Breeders' Cup Ladies Classic. Now, here's Mike Penna. What a weekend. Welcome back. Hour three of the Equine Forum barreling toward the finish line, just like so many of the great horses you just heard in our opening montage. Rachel Alexandra, Risen Star, Royal Delta, and Mineshaft all featured and all remembered on this Saturday afternoon with races named in their honor, rightfully so. And boy, do I miss those race calls from Tom Durkin. He could paint a picture and describe the scene like no other. Uh, what a weekend coming up, and we're going to talk about it here in hour number three. I've been talking about it for the first two hours of the program, and if you missed any of the conversation, all you have to do is head back to our website. That is horseracingradio.net. You can listen to the podcast whenever you have some time, and you can do that on every podcast platform as well. So make sure you check out Horse Racing Radio Network and follow along all year long, not just with the Equine Forum, but with all the shows 
that we bring your way. Hour three begins momentarily with the Twin Spires triple play. Ashley Anderson has three races you'll want to keep an eye on and bet at Twin Spires later today. Kurt Becker's stroll through racing history comes up at 1020, and I wrap up the show with Dale and Tim, Dale Romans, Tim Wilkin, with I Ask, They Answer, talking about some of the hottest topics in the sport today. Without further ado, it is time for this week's Twin Spires Triple Play. And as I mentioned, Ashley Anderson is here. She is in New Orleans. She's been there for a few days getting ready for a massive afternoon of thoroughbred racing. Ashley, good morning. Good morning. Happy to be here from New Orleans. Yeah, happy to have you on board. And I have to say, the three races you have chosen today, two of them are the grade two races, the Rachel Alexandra, the Risen Star. So we'll talk about those. But the first race you chose, I thought was extremely interesting. It is the first race on the program today, and it is a state-bred allowance race, six furlongs on the main track for Louisiana breads. These are always a bit of a head-scratcher for me when you start looking at the state-bred conditions. So tell me how you saw this one. Let's kick it off there. So I went with the first race of the day because I found a 9-2 to choice, but I was a little surprised it was 9-2 to on the morning line and number two like this. And this is a four-year-old gelding who won last out at fairgrounds in an allowance for non-winners of two, now racing in non-winners of three. And he posted an 83 Brisnet speed figure, the highest last race speed figure among the field. He got a rider switch last out to Brian Hernandez. That seemed to work well. Brian Hernandez is winning at a 19% clip at fairgrounds. He's retaining the mount here. Trainer Brett Calhoun is a 20% winner at the allowance level and a 23% winner with horses that won their last race. And like this, has two wins from today's distance, also a second and a third. And his 114 class rating that he earned last out is the highest of anyone in the field. So at 9-2, to two, I thought that was a great price and kicks off the early pick five. So, you know, hopefully a winner and a good price to kick off the early pick five. Do you think he goes off at 9-2 to two or does he get bet down? I get bet down, but I thought the morning line favorite. And I believe that's hardly able for Tom Amos, you know, he might take some money. He raced in a allowance last out at fairgrounds as well, but finished third. And then I also thought Dr. Deal at four to one and early pace better might take some money as well. So I'm hoping, you know, get something around nine to two, but yeah, might get that down just a little bit. Nine to two would be solid on number two like this in the opener race number one at the fairgrounds by the way 14 races on tap for this afternoon wrapping up with the grade two risen star that first race goes at one o'clock eastern 12 o'clock locally central time in new orleans and we'll see if like this can kick things off on a positive note don't forget you can bet all these races we're talking about in the twin spires triple play at twin spires later today ashley race 13 is your next choice, and that is the grade two Rachel Alexandra. It is a prep race for the three-year-old Phillies making their way toward the first Friday in May in the Kentucky Oaks. Solid group here. I I think this is a very, very contentious race with some high-quality Phillies. How'd you see it? Yeah, it's an exciting group and a couple of Brad Cox horses in here. And I'm going with Alpine Princess at 7-2, to two, just won the untappable stakes at Fairgrounds on a two-win streak since her troubled seventh place finish in the Alcibiades back in October. She's coming off a nearly two-month layoff, but she's looked sharp in workouts. And one of the keys here for me is her jockey, Florent Giroux. He's winning at a 27% clip at Fairgrounds. And on top of that, he and Brad Cox have won this race twice. 
most recently in 2022 with Turner Loose and also back in 2018 with Monomoy Girl. The track has been speed favoring. Alpine Princess went gate to wire in her last start, but she can also win coming off the pace as she showed breaking her maiden. So I'm taking the recent winner at Fairgrounds in this race. Interesting that the morning line favorite VV's dream breaks just to the outside of Alpine Princess and post number six. Ken McPeak has been on quite a roll lately. Do you give VV's dream a shot in this race? You know, it's interesting. She hasn't won since stretching out beyond a mile. She won the Pocahontas at Churchill back in September, but then raced one and one sixteenth of a mile in the Alcibiades, finished second, and then also on a sloppy track, which we're probably going to get, you know, pretty sloppy conditions by the time we go off and race 13 yeah. with the forecast. So, you know, she finished far back in third, nine and a half lengths behind West Sunset on that sloppy track in the rags to riches. So, I'm a little concerned there seeing that recent form. And I honestly don't know if we're going to get her as a post-time favorite with all these other really good horses in the field. Does the potential for an off-track and the likelihood of an off-track change the way you handicap not just this race, but all the races coming up today? Yeah, I definitely look at it. You know, if a horse had, you know, a troubled trip on a sloppy track like BV Stream, or if there's a horse that's done particularly well on off tracks, I'm certainly going to highlight that on a day where you got mud, you know, a muddy track. It definitely can, you know, some horses are just their pedigree. They do better on mud. So, yeah, I certainly look at that. All right, number five, Alpine Princess, seven to two. Brad Cox, Florent Giroux, the team on Ashley's top pick in race number 13, the Rachel Alexandra. Again, 7-2 to two square price on Alpine Princess if it stays there from that morning line. The next race is the final race of the afternoon, and it is the big one. The grade two Risen Star Stakes, purse of 400000 These are the three-year-old boys going a mile and an eighth. And just like the Rachel Alexandra, 50 Kentucky Derby qualifying points on the line for the winner. Who wins it? I'm going number four, Sierra Leone, at 4-1. to one. Now, <laughs> my coworkers. If you watch the Twin Spires jury, James Scully and Darren Sagali, they completely disagree with me here on Sierra Leone, and they think he might actually go off around 2-1 to one by post-time. But I'm sticking with Sierra Leone, was beaten a nose, beaten by a nose by Dornock in the rims in last out and was on a muddy track at one and one-eighth of a mile. But he's adding blinkers here. You know, he actually overtook Dornock in the stretch, and then Surprisingly, Doorknock came back and rallied and got up right at the wire. But I think with those blinkers, you know, a little bit more focus. Coming off a more than two-month layoff for Chad Brown. Going to have Tyler Gaffleone in the saddle. So I like Sierra Leone here. You know, $2.3 million purchase. I think it's his time to shine and prove that he's worth all that money. Yeah, I haven't looked to see where Sierra Leone is sitting in the Kentucky Derby future wagers, which are taking place this weekend. But I'm pretty sure it's going to be higher than four to one. But if he wins this race today, those odds will drop significantly. So maybe uh, a chance to get down on him before this race. Is that how that works with the future wagers, Ashley? If you if you bet the race, say this morning, and you like Sierra Leone, and then do you lock in that price, or does it drop and you get the price where it actually closes at the end of the future books? Yeah, you lock in that price, so definitely good. good to take advantage. And, you know, this race in particular, probably the deepest field we've seen in the Kentucky Derby prep so far. I think whoever wins this race is going to get bet heavily in that future wager. So, yeah, be on the lookout for who comes out of this race today. I'm also anxious to see Honor Marie 
do his thing later as he comes out of that win in the Kentucky Jockey Club at Churchill back in November. We'll see if he can duplicate that form. But it's a, a deep, deep group, not just Sierra Leone and Honor Marie. There are other horses in here that are going to have a say in the outcome of this year's Kentucky Derby field as we make our way there over the next, well, under 80 days now. It's it's incredible that it's fast approaching. It'll be here before we know it. Uh, Ashley, before I let you go, um, a couple quick thoughts on some promos coming up this weekend at Twin Spires. I know there's a 15% profit boost on all the races at Fairgrounds today. Yeah, we've got a lot going on, particularly at Fairgrounds. You mentioned that that road to the Kentucky Derby profit boost, a 15% boost on all winning win exacta trifecta and superfecta wagers at Fairgrounds on all eligible races. Check out the T's, the T's and C's for that. We also have a $2,000 Fairgrounds hit it and split it for the late pick five so you can compete for a chance to potentially split or take all of the $2,000 prize pool we have available for the late pick five at Fairgrounds. We also have the Kentucky Derby Week bankroll builder where you can opt in and wager at least $50 during the duration of the Kentucky Derby future wager pools and you get a cash bonus to have for the week of the Kentucky Derby. So bet $50, get 10, bet 100, get 20, and then it goes up to ultimately bet 1,000, get 200 for that week of the Kentucky Derby. Okay, let's recap those three selections that Ashley has made for you here this morning. We begin in the first race at the fairgrounds. She likes number two, like this, at odds of nine to two. Race 13, the Rachel Alexandra. She'll take number five, Alpine Princess, at seven to two. And race 14, the Risen Star. She'll go with number four, Sierra Leone, at odds of four to one. Ashley, good luck today. Enjoy every moment of being there at the fairgrounds, and we will catch up again soon. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, don't forget to play all those races later today at Twin Spires. When I come back, Kurt Becker takes you on his weekly stroll through racing history. This is a story, as I tell you, every week you will not want to miss. And then coming up at 1030, Dale Roman's Tim Wilkin are with me for I Ask, They Answer to talk about some of the hot topics in the sport today. We'll do all of that next. This is the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires on HRRN. Race to Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void were prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Airdrie Stud is proud to announce the arrival of Grade 1 winning millionaire Happy Saver for the 2023 season. Happy Saver boasts one of the most important female families of the century, as his third dam is Broodmare of the Year weekend surprise, dam of the legendary AP Indy. Undefeated in his first five starts, Happy Saver capped off his perfect 4-for-4 season with an emphatic victory in the historic Grade 1 Jockey Club Gold Cup. And Happy Saver stays undefeated. He steps up and he wins the Grade 1. Jockey Club Gold Cup. Airdrie Studs. Happy Saver. Think about it. There's a corner of Kentucky in Bourbon County, which some refer to as the promised land. There's something in the soil and water that make it something special. So special that some of the world's greatest horsemen have staked their claim in the soil just outside of Paris. Iconic names such as Claiborne, Coolmore, Stone, and Darley grace the fence lines which have housed champions for generations. The name Alapa shines as a tribute to the Gilded Age. 
sharing the stature and grandeur of its neighbors. Born from the wealth, passion, and imagination of Edward Sims, no expense was spared to fulfill his vision. Sims was in the same league as John Madden and Arthur B. Hancock Sr. as a commercial breeder. The torch has been passed. Welcome to Hill and Dale at Alapa. Hey, this is Bobby Newman. Join me every Friday afternoon to dive deep into handicapping the races. We'll cover the live action from some of the biggest tracks in the country, talk to some of the major players in the game, and hopefully make a little money along the way. You can also call the show to share your opinions, ask a question or two, or maybe just vent about some bad beats. It's Betting with Bobby every Friday from 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius 162, XM 207, online channel 999, or streaming live at horseracingradio.net. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Hello, I'm Kurt Becker. Thanks for joining me as I take another stroll through racing history presented by Keeneland. When one thinks of the great Florida bred racehorses of all time, names like Needles, Carryback, Dr. Fager, Foolish Pleasure, Affirmed, Unbridled, Skip Away, and Silver Charm come to mind. But what about the name Noontime Spender? Admittedly, he would not belong on that list. Even hardcore Florida racing fans might have difficulty recognizing the name, much less identifying the decade in which he raced. Yet Noontime Spender did race at the grade one level with success, competed in two legs of the Triple Crown, and gave his owner and trainer some of their biggest moments in the sport. Fold on March 23, 1975 at Meadowbrook Farms of Joseph and Barbara LaCroix in Ocala, Florida, Noontime Spender was a chestnut colt by Amasport out of Eastern Noon by Sunglow. The colt sire was a Florida homebred which had been a minor stakes winner for Meadowbrook, while his dam was a mare which won 14 races but competed primarily in $4,000 claimers. Trained by James Bracken, Noontime Spender made his debut at the races on April 28, 1977 at Hialeah Park, northwest of Miami. Dispatched as the 6-5 favorite, the Colt took command in mid-stretch and was clear at the finish to win by a length and a half. Eight weeks later, on June 22, Noontime Spender was entered to run at Calder Racecourse when owner Joe LaCroix was approached by Andrew Capaletti. Word soon got around the track that Capaletti had purchased Noontime Spender for $100,000, the equivalent of a half million today. Eight hours later, at 4.41 p.m. Eastern, Noontime Spender went to the post as the 3-5 favorite. The footnotes from the official chart from Daily Racing Forum tell the story. Noontime Spender accelerated soon after the start, drew off with a rush, and completely dominated his rivals in a track record performance. To be specific, Noontime Spender won by 13 lengths and got five and a half furlongs and one minute five seconds flat under jockey Alberto Ramos. The final time broke the track record by a full second. Capaletti, a World War II veteran who had grown up on a farm near Memphis, was seeing instant results from his purchase. But for the prominent South Florida businessman, Noontime Spender was more than just a racehorse. Capaletti enjoyed being present for early morning training hours, giving him an opportunity to take a break from the demands of running Capaletti Brothers, a contracting firm which had been responsible for paving large sections of I-95, I-75, and Florida's Turnpike. 
Capoletti also transferred noontime spender to the barn of trainer Tony Arcadia, a native of Sicily who had spent 14 years in the U.S. as an exercise rider and was now in his fourth year of operating a public stable. Arcadia entered noontime spender for the restricted rough and tumble stakes at Calder on July 23rd, where the Colt rallied to win by a nose under jockey Jack Giovanni. That triumph earned Noontime Spender a trip to New Jersey for a shot against Grade 1 Company in the $100,000 sapling at Monmouth Park, and he responded with a runner-up finish to a rising superstar by the name of Alidar. Racing in the name of Capoletti's Miami Lakes Ranch, Noontime Spender would post two more runner-up finishes to Alidar, with both coming early in his three-year-old season in 1978 with Craig Perret aboard. The first came in Allowance Company at Hialeah on February 11th, while the second came in the Grade 1 Flamingo at the same track on March 5th. After finishing off the board and some 15 lengths behind Ali Dar in the Florida Derby, Noontime Spender missed the Kentucky Derby with a virus, but he returned to finish fourth at odds of 80 to 1 in the Preakness before finishing fifth and last in the Belmont Stakes at 38 to 1 as Affirmed was wrapping up the Triple Crown. Noontime Spender would recover from those losses to win the TV Lark Handicap at Monmouth by seven lengths before adding the Palmetto Handicap at Calder in July of 1979. By the time he concluded his racing career at the end of 1980, he had won 10 races and earned $200,000 in 44 starts, including three stakes wins and six stakes placings. Retired to stallion duty at Haddon Acres Farm in Reddick, Florida, Noontime Spender initially stood for a fee of $3,500, the equivalent of $10,500 today. He would sire 34 winners from 96 foals, including minor stakes winner Midnight Spender. Noontime Spender, Capoletti, and Arcadia would all pass away in the 1990s. A representative of the Florida Thoroughbred Breeders Association, who assisted us with research for this feature, recalled that Noontime Spender was a big chestnut horse, deceptively tall at 16.2 hands, with a stocky, muscular build similar to a quarter horse. Our thanks to the Florida Breeders and to everyone who helped with this story, as we remember Noontime Spender a Florida bread which traded punches with some of the best in the business some 45 years ago. Please join me again next week when I take another stroll through racing history presented by Keeneland. For HRRN, I'm Kurt Becker. Another fantastic story from Kurt Becker here on this Saturday morning. Kurt's back next week with a really special feature on Silver Charm. The Derby and Preakness winner is going to be turning 30 this coming Thursday, and we'll honor him with that special feature during Kurt's Stroll Through Racing History segment on next Saturday morning show. The following Saturday, March 2nd, Desert Wine is the featured horse. Kurt featuring uh, the tremendous Desert Wine who was bred by Airdrie and the late Kentucky Governor Brereton Jones. That should be a special story, too. So make sure you're tuned into those live on the program. If you do miss them, no big deal. 
We have archived every single one of Kurt's Stroll Through Racing History segments on our website. You go to horseracingradio.net. You click on the Shows tab. Scroll down to Kurt Becker's Stroll Through Racing History presented by Keeneland, and you're going to be able to listen to each and every one of his featured stories that he's ever done for you over the past couple of years here on the network, and I think you'll really enjoy that opportunity. Don't forget, too, you can listen to all of our shows live on our website or podcast on our website and on every podcast platform too. So all kinds of ways to access the Horse Racing Radio Network, including Kurt's Stroll Through Racing History. When I come back, it is time for Dale and Tim to join me for this week's edition of I Ask, They Answer. We're going to talk about several topics, including which trainer who is still looking for their first Kentucky Derby victory should we have our eye on over the next couple of months leading up to the Kentucky Derby? And is this the year for a talented three-year-old filly to take on the boys? It certainly seems like it's wide open at this point anyways. We'll see what Dale and Tim have to say about that coming up next here on the Equine Forum. Stay with me. That's all ahead. This is the Equine Forum presented by Twin Spires on HRRN. This is HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. Race to Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Boy, we're prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. The race is on at Sam Houston Race Park. Don't miss a minute of the action now through April with Thoroughbred Stakes Racing every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. There's something different every weekend, including special events that are fun for the whole family. And, of course, we're the place for live music and great drink specials every Friday, along with delicious dining and the best Sunday brunch around. So race in for all the excitement at Houston's best bet for fun and entertainment. Sam Houston Race Park. Visit SHRP.com for details. Times have changed, but some things remain timeless. Hard work, perseverance, unwavering dedication. From sun up to sundown, our passion fuels us to drive further and push harder. We do it for the horses, for our families, and for the sport we all love. For well over a century, we've committed to doing the usual unusually well. Claiborne Farm, the tradition continues. There are plenty of thrills at Gulfstream Park with live thoroughbred action Friday through Sunday and simulcasting seven days a week. Join us on track for weekend stakes races. Dine trackside in 10 ponds with an elevated view of the track and grab a cool cocktail in the Carousel Club. For reservations, tickets, and more, head to GulfstreamPark.com. Want to get the latest HRN content directly on your computer or mobile device? Then subscribe to our podcast using the Podbean app or Apple Podcasts. Just go to hrrn.podbean.com on your computer and click follow or download the Podbean app and search HRRN. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and listen to our latest episodes anytime. Don't miss a thing. Subscribe to our podcasts today. This is I Ask, They Answer on the Equine Forum on HRRN. Track Phantom and Nash as these three-year-olds turn for home. Lat Long on the outside and Ethan Energy, and these are well clear. Three-quarters and one and a 13. 
1.15 seconds, it's Track Phantom, who set sail for the final furlong. Nash in full stretch. It's Track Phantom, who has the kick. Nash chased the pace, then Batlong, Ethan Energy, well back to Tizzy Indy, now fifth. It is Track Phantom with Joel Rosario. Track Phantom, wire to wire in the Lacombe. One by three from Nash. Batlong was third, fourth close. Tizzy Indy with Ethan Energy, who flattened out and Kent Group was last home in 144.73. John G. Dooley with the call of the talented track phantom who can bring Hall of Fame trainer Steve Asmussen one step closer to his first Kentucky Derby victory if he runs well in today's Risen Star. But should we be focusing on another trainer to win their first Kentucky Derby? We'll tell you all about that. Plus, is this the year for a talented three-year-old filly to take on the boys? And we'll discuss a potential critical oversight by Naira's newly formed All-Weather Surfaces Committee. All of that ahead and much, much more on this week's edition of I Ask, They Answer with trainer Dale Romans and turf rider Tim Wilkin and all presented by the University of Louisville Equine Industry Program in the College of Business. And it all starts just 30 seconds from right now. Learn the business of horses in the world's only accredited equine business program, the University of Louisville Equine Business Program. The University of Louisville has a legacy of excellence educating and developing industry leaders for over 35 years. Classes are taught by industry experts in state-of-the-art facilities located in the heartland of America's equine industry. The University of Louisville Equine Business Program. When it comes to horses, we mean business. For more information, visit business.louisville.edu equine. All right, Dale Romans is at his base in Florida. Tim Wilkin is a little chillier. He's up in Albany, New York. And, guys, let's kick it off with this topic. The current top ten in the Derby point standings includes seven horses with trainers seeking their first Kentucky Derby victory. Todd Pletcher and Brad Cox are the only two trainers among the top ten to have their names in the Derby record books. The other seven trainers are Steve Asmussen, Ken McPeak, Joe Orsino, Butch Reed, Jose D'Angelo, Robbie Medina, and Larry Demerit. Which of those is most likely to break through on the first Saturday in May? Timmy? Mike, we got to pump the brakes on this one. We're in February, okay? And um, <laughs> I'm going to look back for a second, all right? Last year at this time, the Derby Top 10. How many of those do you think even made it to the starting gate at Churchill Downs? Do you want to ha hamper? Either you guys want to hazard a guess? One. I have no idea. We had three. There were three of the top ten. I mean, I think it's just still way too early to think about stuff like this. But, you know, to, to mention the, the trainers that you mentioned, if I was uh, to say there's one of them that's, has a chance to win his first derby, I think I'd have to go with my pal Steve Asmussen because, you know, track phantom, you know, he's uh, he won the LeCompte. He's, he's he's in a tough field. The Brisbane Star is a tough field. There's 12 of them in there. And he's got another one in there named um, Hall of Fame, a, a million-dollar baby from Gunrunner who broke his maiden by 10 uh, the same day as the LeCompte. So I think if I was going to say – one of these would be the favorite to win a derby at this point, I'd say Steve, but I'm not getting excited about any of them because it's just still way too early for me. 
It's obviously a slow week in horse racing if we're talking about the top ten this time of year. You're right, Tim. <laughs> but uh, we got to talk about something. Yeah, you know, Steve <laughs> Steve would be your favorite on that list to, to break his maiden in the Derby. But uh, Kenny's got some good stock, and both of them have run second in the Derby. So they're both sitting on the, on the verge of, of winning their biggest race. And But it is a little early to start talking like that. And uh, But with Bob out, it opens the door for everybody. It does. Absolutely it does. I mean, there's there's 36 uh, prep races. There's 17 left. Um, so long, a long way to go, especially when you get those 100-point uh, races that will be coming up uh, next month or so. I know we've talked about this particular topic a couple of times now over the past few years on I Asked the Answer, but guys, isn't it still somewhat mind-boggling that Steve Asmussen has not put the Kentucky Derby trophy on his mantle yet? Well, it's a tough yeah. thing to do. I don't care who you are. Still, you can have all the horses you want, but you're still against the rest of the world. And, uh, you know, we talked like that about Todd for a long time before he got his first win, and he reeled off, I mean, three or four. And, uh, don't be surprised if Steve does the same thing sometimes, gets on a little roll. Yeah, I mean, right now, Bob. I mean, right now, Steve has had 25 horses started in the Derby, and he's had a couple of seconds. Um, you'd think it's only a matter of time before he gets one. I mean, he, has, he always certainly has a top three-year-old, but, um, you know, he's the, trip, the Kentucky Derby gods have to smile on you on that first Saturday in May, and they haven't smiled on him yet. What does it say about the accomplishments of people like Bob Baffert and Doug O'Neill, who have in recent years won this race on a multitude of occasions? What, what does it say about their accomplishments then? The Bob thing got- is phenomenal. It's hard to explain. I don't, I don't know how he does it every year after year to win as many as he has. I mean, he's got he, his program is geared towards the the, the three year olds. It's always been that way and Yeah, but you know, everybody's is. And it's it's just but it's just statistically is incredible. I mean it's like winning eighteen majors or seven Super Bowls. It's just incredible. Agreed. That's why he should be in there. And he's not. We talked about that before. So we don't have to go down that whole rabbit hole today. Yeah, and it's not just the names like Bob Baffert and Doug O'Neill, who are multiple Kentucky Derby winners. And I, I used recent history for those two, but you think back to D Wayne Lucas and what he accomplished with four wins. I mean, Ben Jones with six and Derby Dick Thompson with four, I mean, Sonny Jim Fitzsimmons, he has three. You, you start getting into that rarefied air. And to think about a guy like Steve Asmussen, not even having one at this point, but he's won more races than any trainer in history. To me, that is just, it makes you step back and realize how difficult it is to win the Kentucky Derby. It really is. It really is. And he's got plenty of accomplishments to hang his hat on if he never wins one. All right, let's move on to this next topic. And it, I'm going to stick with the Derby theme for just a minute for this next one. With upsets in Derby preps, such as the Holy Bull and the Sam F. Davis, coupled with the fact that Bob Baffert's three-year-olds are ineligible to compete in this year's Kentucky Derby, is this the year for a talented Philly to take their shot against the boys and try to get into the Derby field? Dale, what do you think? Well, it sure looks like a wide open year. And if there's, you know, I don't know who that most outstanding Philly is out there, but if, there's a, if there was a Rachel Alexander or something like that, they definitely should be taking a chance in some of these preps accumulating points. 
But I wouldn't wait till the last round. I'd get started pretty soon. Exactly. That's um, you know the since the point system was inaugurated in what two, the first year was 2013. There's never been a Philly that entered the Derby during during the point system era. I mean, there's only been in the history of the Derby's only been 40. So you know, it's not something that 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 horsemen seem to want to do to run a Philly against the, the the Colts on the first Saturday of May when you're in that big field and you know there's all kinds of things that can happen to any horse in that but with Phillies you got to have a real special one um, I mean the, 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 this year's crop of right now the three-year-old Philly I mean you look at just FYI um, after you think that she's the leader going into this this year I don't think they're the Billy Mott camp is thinking of, of uh, facing the boys in, in May. Um, yeah, and you got to get points. You just can't to say, yeah, I want to run my horse in, in the Kentucky Derby. You got to have the points, and you got to have the points, and you got to run against the boys, maybe more than once, unless you wait for one of those hundred point races. But um, historically, since the point system has come around. Phillies don't run in it. The last one that won it was what winning colors in '88. So I, I don't, I don't think that the Phillies there will be a Philly in this in this Derby. But um, who knows? I, I just don't see it for this year. Do you guys like the way the point system is currently structured, where a Philly, if she wants to run in the Kentucky Derby, has to compete against the boys in one of those points races for the males before the Kentucky Derby? Uh, or would you like to see a scenario where maybe, I don't know, I'm kind of brainstorming here, but maybe a, the, there's an exemption for the top Philly points getter on that side of things, and even if she didn't run against the boys during the Triple Crown prep season, she could still run in the Kentucky Derby. She would have a sole exemption. Would you like to see it done like that, or do you like it the way it is now? Well, I wouldn't no, I like want to see it. That. Yeah, I wouldn't want to see an exemption because that would take a spot away from a a Colt that was running in the in the prep series, and I don't think that would be fair to him. Um, if you're gonna, if you want to be a horse that uh, gets to K- the Kentucky Derby, I think you have to go by those rules. Everyone has to be on the same playing field. I think. You know, back in the old days, before the points system, a Philly could accumulate greatest stakes points and, and bump a Colt by never running against the boys. She could get in, and uh, but I always liked the conversation going into it when there was a top Philly, whether or not she would run. I sure think Rachel would have been a triple crown winner if she had run. She she was that good in a, in a, in a soft year. But uh, I don't know. I kind of miss that conversation when there's a really outstanding Philly. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it adds something to the race, and it doesn't happen often. And as Tim said, it's never happened during the points system era not sure if it'll happen this year, but maybe if this continues to be wide open, if we see an upset in the Risen Star again today, maybe some connections that have these top three-year-old Phillies start thinking about taking a shot down the road to see if they can get into the Derby. We'll see. Uh, that time of the show now where we say hello to our good friend Nick Zito, and you guys get to tell me if the following statement is right or wrong. Yeah, right or wrong. Am I right? What do you think? Right or wrong? Okay, this is kind of a two-part right or wrong segment here so let's but it all pertains to one topic the new york racing association announced this week the formation of an all-weather surfaces committee to evaluate the impact of various racing surfaces 
on equine injury rates. In addition, the committee is studying the feasibility of broader adoption of all-weather surfaces nationally. The committee is comprised of several prominent racetrack executives, which includes Naira President and CEO David O'Rourke and Breeders' Cup President and CEO Drew Fleming. That's fine. But guys, I'll ask you, is it right or wrong for the committee not to include a track superintendent and a horseman's representative for those conversations? And haven't we already been down this road of installing all-weather racing surfaces at various tracks around the country? Right or wrong? What do you think? Right or wrong? Dale, you want this one first? Yeah, I think you're 100% right. They should include as many people as possible. At least, Hopefully they're going to get all the data from people people you're talking about but horsemen's groups and uh, owners and, and superintendents should all be involved and i feel like we have been down this road enough and they need to look at the data of how many jockeys were seriously injured on synthetic surfaces it was a much higher rate than on the dirt and uh you know just mentioned hollywood park and arlington park those were two racetracks that went to synthetic and are long gone yeah keeneland and delmar too Yep, well, they at least they saved their tracks and took them out. People don't want to bet on it. Yeah. what? Why do you think, Dale, that there was an increase in the number of jockey injuries on those surfaces? I don't know, but I believe there was a major lawsuit against uh, one of the synthetic surfaces at Arlington Park and, and was won and because statistically it was much more dangerous. So you hit and not, they wouldn't slide or bounce or Tim, what do you think, right or wrong, on those two conversations? Those well, two I think topics? I agree with Dale. I agree with Dale on this. Um, you want to get as many eyes and ears and mouths on this subject as you can. And, you know, it's all about safety. We all know that. But is synthetics uh, the wherewithal to end that? Um, I know a lot of people that play the horses can't stand the synthetic. Maybe you should get their kind of voice involved with this. Maybe you get trainers, owners, jockeys, track supers, um, veterinarians even. Um, get as many different voices to talk about this subject because it's something that uh, looks like it's, it's going to be here to stay. I mean, they're, they're installing one at, um, at, at Belmont. And, um, you know, I... I it, 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 it's for you know you take a race off the, off the turf you're going to run it on the synthetic it's going to help uh, field size I don't know they say it will some say it won't so you know I've always been a, a dirt guy myself and um, as far as injuries go you want it to be as safe as possible Is it, so some studies have said that it's more safe with the synthetic so there's a lot of uh, things to digest here, and I think as many, if you can get as many people involved and have their say on it, as many opinions as you can get from people that put the show on and they're out there, I think that's the best thing you can do. Um, I don't think, you know, it's, it's admirable that they have they have this committee, but I think you got to get more people on it that uh, for the different fractions factions of the of the sport. Dale, when the synthetic surfaces were being installed at Keeneland and Del Mar and Arlington and all the different tracks around the country that had them at one point. One of the arguments that people would continue to bring up that didn't like synthetics was, hey, horses are still being injured. They're just different kinds of injuries. And they would always throw around the term soft tissue injuries. As a trainer, did you notice that as well? Yeah, it sure seemed like you get more back end problems and soft tissue injuries. Were, but 
he might not have had as many catastrophics, but you had a lot of injuries within his horse's careers. And, uh, you know, I think there's a place with synthetics. And maybe winter racetracks like Turfway Park has been much safer, much more successful with it. But I just don't think it should be everywhere. All right. Well, that is right or wrong. We'll bring Nick Zito back into the mix again next Saturday morning here on I Ask the Answer, as we do every week. But we have another topic to get to. And then we'll look back on the Super Bowl and a wager that was placed on this show last Saturday morning. And we'll have Dale and Tim's final thoughts of the week. But, guys, our next topic, and we always encourage listeners to email the show or hit us up on social media if they have a question they want to hear you talk about on the program. And that's exactly what Rick in Louisville has done. He sends an email. And, Dale, this question is for you, but, Timmy, I think – after Dale responds, you can weigh in from the media perspective on this, too, because I think there's some interesting points. Dale, Rick wants to know, who is harder to deal with, jockeys or owners? Hmm. I don't have any problem with any jockeys. I just run them off if they get on my nerves. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, jockeys are easy. And owners, I'm in a good spot with my owners. Now, I've had some bad ones in my life that were hard to deal with. But right now, I've got all good people that understand the game and are easy to deal with. Um, but you know, you have to work your way through a lot of tough people to, before you can get to this point. But, uh, it, it's, you spend a lot more time talking about horses in the game with owners than you do jockeys. I just, I leg them up and tell them to go. That's it. Tim, what do you think? Well, from the media's perspective, you know, talking to, uh, jockey or an owner even a trainer after a race if you're talking to the winner you got no problems whatsoever but you know the the way this sport is it's not like you're covering baseball or football or basketball where there's a cooling off period after a competition i mean after a you know you have a trainer or jockey or an owner that gets beat by a lip at the, at the wire and all of a sudden you've got microphones and tape recorders in your face you can sometimes get some very testy responses and, you know, guys and gals might be saying stuff they would rather take back if they had a few minutes to, you know, decompress after a race. But, the, you know, the, I've had situations where, yeah, it's, it's uh, you, you get some curt responses from, from all involved when they don't win, you know, as far as, as far as, you know, the winners go, you'll never have a problem because of that, that's obvious, but, you know, walking through uh, Saratoga or Kentucky Downs or Pimlico with a jockey that just got beat and, and he's ticked off. And it's not a fun conversation to have. And sometimes you don't get anything out of them. But um, I would say that, uh, yeah, when they win, they're great. When they lose, sometimes not so great. Tammy, who's the worst? Do I have to mention them? Yeah, I want the name. Well, I don't know if I'm going to mention any names here, but I think all of there's been a whole bunch of them that have been bad at some point. Come on, I Jimmy. Know I know who it is. Tell me. Tell the people. <laughs> no, it, you, no, the thing Dale is, Romans. Was, no. no, Dale, listen, no, you, no. you've always been fantastic with the media, and you know, I, I say Brad Cox is the same way now, right? Brad is always yeah. more than accommodating, yeah. even if he's super busy. And there, are, there are so many people in the game that are like that, and it's rare that you get a jockey and owner a trainer, a breeder, if you get somebody that's not accommodating or they're kind of standoffish, that's rare. But as Tim pointed out, after losing a big race like that or any race, it, it can happen. Emotions run high. 
Would you like to see a bit of a cooling off period, Dale, where trainers or owners or jockeys get a few minutes to step back and then start answering questions? Hell no. I want to put put us under the fire right away. You'll get get the true response. Don't let them think about it. It's more fun that way. But, you know, you talk about me and Brad. See, we're both South Louisville raised, so that's how we act in South Louisville. (laughs) I remember there was a time several years ago – Angel Cordero was really ticked off. It might have been after, geez, it might have been after, I think it, he did, when he won the Travers, was that with Chief? Did he win the Travers with Chief's crown? Does that sound right? I don't know. Maybe. But he, he won the Travers, I, 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 but he, I, after, after, back in those days, they brought the jockey up to the press box and they had the uh, press conference up there. And, um, Afterwards, Cordero came over to my desk and apologized for being such, uh, as he called it, a jerk, but he didn't use that word, through, through the week because he said he was under so much pressure. Um, you know, I'm sure he, yeah, he was real happy that he won. He, I'm sure he wouldn't have come over. He wouldn't have said anything to me if he had lost. But, you know, the, the intense pressure that these guys are under to, uh, to win is, uh, you know, it, it can wear on you. And it's... I think it's the same thing for trainers when you got these, you know, high-profile horse that's uh, running in a high-profile race for a high-profile owner. It, it, it can uh, it can wear on you. And even I can even only remember my, uh... one time. Go ahead. I, mean, I, say, I can only remember one time I I got a little testy with a reporter, and I wish I remember who it was. I'd apologize to him. It was after the Derby when I thought Kent Sarmo pulled up on Patty Parado when we got nailed on the wire for second. And uh, I remember she asked me, she said, we got to be happy. I said, happy? How am I happy? He just cost me $40,000. Easing up on my horse, and I kind of snapped and walked off. And I always wanted to find and remember who that was and apologize. Were you more ticked off at the reporter who asked the question or Kent DeSormo? I was mad at Kent, but it it came with bled over into the reporter. Well, you just apologized if if that reporter was listening. She got her apology. If they're listening, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I don't think you ever got ticked off at me for anything, did you? Mm, only for beating me in the Super Bowl. <laughs> Interesting you should bring that up, Dale Romans, because that was the case one week ago where we made our Super Bowl predictions, and you stepped out on a limb and said, okay, I'm going to wager dinner at the Kentucky Derby. If I get beat, I will buy dinner for the winner. Well, looks like you're going to be buying dinner. It's dinner on Dale during Derby week because Tim was all over this one. I'm not going to go against Patrick Mahomes, and, and I believe he's getting points, so I'll take him all day. But, Timmy, not only did you did you pick the right team, you picked the right quarterback, and it played out exactly like you thought it might. Well, I don't think I did anything Nostradamically here because, <laughs> I mean, th- this guy is, has been doing it his whole career. Um, you know, I don't think that uh, anyone should think that uh, <laughs> I'm all of a sudden an expert on the NFL because I picked Patrick Mahomes to win the Super Bowl. He, that's just what he does. Mm, yeah, it's but like picking secretariat. That yeah, was bad officiating, blame the referees. I should have won, but uh, Wait, wh- I will wh- pay. Why are, you, uh, why, why are you blaming the referees? Because I gotta blame somebody. I can't be wrong. Uh, <laughs> and but I will say I will take Tim to dinner. He can pick between Big Mac or Whopper, or we can go get a frosty at Wendy's, whichever one he wants. So you're really going on the cheap now, huh? They went from dinner to fast food uh, drive-through. Well, I know what you like. 
Oh, I don't like that stuff. Are you kidding me? <laughs> All right. <laughs> Tim, I, I tried to get him to bring you to Tony's in Lexington, if you can do it that way. Tony's is a great place. I, I think I, you, I blew it when I was supposed to meet you there, and I didn't go. Yep, yep. You know, I've never eaten there, but I would like to try it. I know uh, I know Tony used to work for Jeff Ruby, so they got to be pretty similar. But uh, I would take you there. I'd try that one. Yeah, Tony's is tremendous. Good, good people, too. We'll, we'll have to do that one night, Dale. We'll get together at Tony's, and we'll get Timmy in town, and we'll, uh, we'll do that. We'll, we'll go to Tony's and have a nice dinner and celebrate Tim's Super Bowl victory with the Kansas City Chiefs, who pulled it off. In, what a great game that was. Pulled it off in overtime. And, uh, again, like picking Secretariat to win when you pick Patrick Mahomes. He just keeps doing it time and time again. All right, we're just about out of time, so let's do it, guys. It is time for your final point of the week. Timmy, why don't you kick it off for us this week? Well, the Belmont Stakes tickets went on sale uh, this past, this week, and right now all of the uh, Belmont Stakes Day seating is sold out at Saratoga, which is no surprise, I don't think, to anybody. I mean, if people still want to go, there's still limited um, general admission tickets. Uh for the four-day package as well as single days. I mean, if you want to, if you want to get to Saratoga, you better buy your tickets now through Ticketmaster because it is going to be sold out, and you get to June, you're going to be out of luck. So, you are warned. I don't have a lot to say, but I want to know how much Naira's paid Timmy for that advertisement uh, on our radio show. <laughs> and, uh, but I am going to say one good thing about losing dinner to Timmy is remember I don't drink, so I don't like people drinking around me. So there's no wine order. <laughs> I love it. We'll get to, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Right. I love it. Dale, Tim, we're gonna do this all over again next week, guys. Really appreciate it. All right, fellas. Talk to you next week. Thanks, Dale. Bye. Right, enjoy the weekend. If you have a topic you want to hear Dale and Tim discuss, email that topic to us. You can email the show directly, Mike at horseracingradio.net, and you can post it on our social media pages at HRRN on Twitter, Horse Racing Radio Network on Facebook, and we will work those questions into the show for you. I Ask the Answer is presented every week by the University of Louisville Equine Industry Program in the College of Business. I'm back with more. This is the Equine Forum on the Horse Racing Radio Network, where racing comes to talk. Hi, Tony. Hey, Matthew. There's a reason why Tony's Steaks and Seafood is my favorite restaurant. It's because I want to feel part of the family. Isn't that right, Tony? That's right. There's a saying on the wall that I truly believe in. There's always room for one more at our table. We just want you to be part of our family. And believe me, you will be. It's Tony's Steaks and Seafood right across from Triangle Park. Visit them at TonySteaksAndSeafood.com. Joe Buck and John Smoltz welcoming you back to the City Center Convenience Mart. Well, John, the stage is set for the final transaction. That's right, Joe. Heather's moment has arrived, and you just hope all that training pays off. Heather lays down her purchase, but Randy rings it up as slowly as he can. He is a wily veteran. It gives Heather's eyes the chance to wander. Uh-oh. Yep, she's looking at the cigarettes. There's nothing good back there. Quit now, and in five years, your odds of getting certain cancers drop 50%. Meanwhile, Randy's stone-faced. He's giving nothing away. He just stands there, wetting his cashier's finger on that sponge. Heather toes the rubber. Here we go. Heather's arm is in motion. But instead of pointing at the back wall, she just grabs the gum off the counter. That's a slick move. Heather, back, back, back. 
She is out of there. Even Randy tips his cap to Heather. Stand up to cancer and Rally wants you to reduce your risk for cancer. Go to takeahealthystand.org. Dear Vet Ticks, it was nice to spend the night with my daughter and other veterans. It's so humbling to attend an event when you feel appreciated. I had a wonderful time with my family. Thank you for the memories, Vet Ticks. Dear Vet Ticks, thank you for a great experience and for your support of the military and veterans. Thank you so much, Vet Ticks. Our family has gone through a lot the last few years, and this gave us a nice break. Every empty seat at a concert, game, or special event is a missed opportunity to say thank you to a veteran or a service member. By giving your extra tickets to Vet Ticks, you'll help America's heroes reduce stress, strengthen family bonds, and create a truly happy memory that will last a lifetime. So when you really want to say thank you for your service, give the experience, give the memory. Vet Ticks, give something to those who gave. For more information on how you can make a difference, go to vetticks.org. Trainer Talk, presented by Phasing Tipton. Please join me in welcoming Hall of Fame trainer Todd Fletcher. Hall of Fame trainer Nick Zito on uh, Trainer Talk. Welcome Hall of Famer Bob Baffert to the program. Hall of Fame trainer Shug McGahee, nice enough to spend some time with us. Hall of Fame trainer Bill Mott here on Trainer Talk. Dual Hall of Fame trainer Mark Cassie. Trainer Talk, the biggest names in horse racing. Wednesdays, 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern. Sirius 162, XM 207, and streaming live at horseracingradio.net. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Skip trial on the outside, leads by a Necturco man on the rail in second. There goes Chief's crown on the outside. Skip trial has a lead by a Necturco man, comes on again. Chief's crown gaining ground on the outside. Uptown swell on the rail in fourth. There's Stephens Odyssey on the outside. They pass the eighth pole. Chief's crown, last year's two-year-old champion, now takes the lead. Turco man is second. Skip trial is back into third. Then Stephens Odyssey. It's Chief's crown in front. Always so great to hear the late Marshall Cassidy. And that was the call of the Traverse Takes back in 1985. Tim Wilkin was correct when he said Angel Cordero Jr. was the jockey aboard Chiefs Crown that day. Uh, Really special performance and a really, really top-notch horse. Uh, And Angel Cordero, my goodness, how good was that guy? You think about all of the, the great races that he won. I mean, he needs no introduction and he needs no endorsement from me. But, wow. Just spectacular stuff, and and great to look back on that moment. Hey, don't forget that you can follow this year's Road to the Kentucky Derby, plus have the latest racing, breeding, sales, and industry news and analysis, along with entries, results, race replay videos, and much, much more, all at your fingertips with the Blood Horse Daily app for your phone, updated throughout the day, or delivered daily in an email. Both of those, by the way, are free. Blood Horse Daily is the largest reach of any industry electronic newsletter or app and you can go to bloodhorse.com slash daily to download the app or sign up now and there is only one website that is the industry's go-to site for racing breeding sales and news you know what that is it is bloodhorse.com i tell you all the time it is the home page every time i log on to my computer and i get so much information at bloodhorse.com Great question there, by the way, at the end of the program. We appreciate that. Rick in Louisville sending that question for Dale and Tim about the jockeys and the owners, which is harder to deal with, a jockey or an owner. I don't know if you can look at it in that fashion and differentiate it and say, oh, jockeys are harder than owners or trainers or whatever the case might be. Uh, As Dale and Tim pointed out, 
if you stick a microphone in somebody's face, and it's true in every sport, after they lose a big game or a big race, you're going to get what you get. And I did like Dale's take on that. Tim mentioned maybe a cooling off period like they have in some of the other sports. But like Dale said, you want that genuine emotion. And I think that's one of the cool things about racing is we get the opportunity to be so close to the players as media members that we get that real-time reaction and that genuine emotion, which really, to me, is, is what it's all about, whether, whether it's good or bad. And you know it's not going to be the greatest if you just get beat a zop in a big race. But that's just the way it is. Uh, the other topic that we talked about with the trainers, Steve Asmussen, Ken McPeak, Joe Orsino, Butch Reed, Jose D'Angelo, Robbie Medina, and Larry Demerit. Those are trainers currently in the top 10 right now in the Derby point standings that have not won the Kentucky Derby yet. And the most surprising, of course, is Steve Asmussen. I think Ken McPeak could maybe be in that category too because Kenny has brought some really good horses to the Kentucky Derby throughout his career, and he's yet to win it. I know he would love to. Every it, All of the trainers on this list would certainly love to. I got a chance to catch up with Jose D'Angelo this past week for a full hour. He joined me on our weekly trainer talk show, which is presented by Fasig Tipton, and he was so great in looking back on the Sam F. Davis and no more times victory in that race. And then he talked about his life and his career, coming from Venezuela, making a name for himself here, and all of the the different things he's had to go through in his career. He comes from a racing family. It was a really fun visit. And again, you can spend an hour listening to that program and hearing from Jose Francisco D'Angelo by going to our podcast page at horseracingradio.net and type in Horse Racing Radio Network on every podcast platform. Listen that way, too. My thanks for all of our guests for making this show possible here this morning, including Ashley Anderson with the Twin Spires Triple Play, Kurt Becker for that great stroll through racing history, and Dale and Tim in the previous segment. If you missed any portion, go to the website, go to the podcast pages, and check out the podcast of this show and all of our shows. And don't forget to follow us on social media, at HRRN on Twitter, Horse Racing Radio Network on Facebook, YouTube, and on Instagram. My thanks to my producer, Lee Delapina in our Lexington studio, and to Chauncey for handling all of our social media again this morning. I'm Mike Penna. Thanks for listening. Okay, go Steelers.